this morning and started glassing. And uh, right away we picked up a buck. Nice, uh, maybe four-year-old, good body, kind of in the prime. Uh, fork and horn, nice and wide for here. And we watched him for a little while. There's a lot of other does and stuff moving around. And, oh, another buck revealed himself an old, old big body fork and horn. Not as wide as that one, but just a really ancient buck, gray in the face. A little more dark in the body with the color. And it pushed that other buck around just posturing at it. And they moved up the hill a little bit out of the bottom and uh, moved into this area. Worked on this little ridge line a little bit for a while and then finally kind of fed over the edge into this poison oak thicket. Came back out, went back in, came back out. And at one point I saw, I thought I saw another buck, a third one, but I never saw a rack I just saw. I just, um, I'm flagging James right now. He's halfway, he's on a stop. So the fog breathed in and kind of covered up the bottom where all the does were. We moved vantage points so we could see him a little better. And then the fog went back out. And we just decided that we had to make a play on them because they're out of sight right now. So we, we are, or I am, about 400 yards, 375 from the deer, where the last place we saw him. James is 230 from me. So that means he's got about 140 to go. <clears throat> he made it through the opening of what was the gauntlet, which is basically he was just dead exposed. And we just had him go real fast, quickly to get across that. Now he's at the point where we're going to slow our stock down. He's behind a really big 100 yard long and 40 feet thick stripe of poison oak working through that a couple little draws and he's going to be into a little block of timber that's between him and the ridge where we saw them last now the concern for me is that he's going to get into that timber bump another deer and spook him but there's really not another option so right now doing really good all the way over there I can't see the deer they're completely in a uh, unglassable location but we're just going to believe that they're still there what's going on Bob Oh, not much, buddy. How you doing? Oh, man. Long time. No podcast. Yeah, we've been... Man, it's been a busy summer, hasn't it? 
It has. It's busy, busy. It's been extremely busy and, um, you know, kind of missing getting on the horn and doing these. I think uh, we, we pledged to do better. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, so what are you up to, Bob? What's going on out there? Well, I'm uh, my nephew has a drew one of the premier deer tags here in Oregon, so I am out looking for deer with him. We just got up here yesterday and glassed up a couple decent bucks this morning, and yeah, it's awesome. We're I got the kid with me here. We're on a midday little scouting mission out in the desert, and it's hot and windy, so hopefully the audio is coming through all right here. Thanks. And yeah, so L- looking for mule tails. Been scouting, yeah, we came down here. See, what was that? Two or three weeks ago for a week scouting, and we're up here for a week again. So yeah, been busy. <laughs> and the hunt is is on, right? It opened a few days ago. Yep, yep, opened August first. So that's awesome. And he's the only guy with the tag. Yep, that's for sure. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, it is. Now, it's beautiful country. It's kind of like uh, where we were last November. Beautiful country. Not a lot of deer left anymore, but we we saw a couple decent bucks this morning. So, cool. but That's since awesome. he's got that tag, we're gonna we're gonna hold out. You know, he's got till the end of November. So unless we see a real real monster, we're just uh, keep hunting, just looking. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Well, uh, I just got back from hunting. Uh, down there in uh, California with my boy Joaquin, and we had a super awesome adventure, which is what this here podcast is going to cover. Yeah, I can't wait to listen to it. I haven't got the chance to talk to you much lately, so sounds like you guys had a great time. Yeah, it yeah, was, it's gonna it was, be good. It was a it was a super uh, fun time with. Uh, with a good friend and I uh, plan on uh, going back and doing it uh, again. I'm going to go back down in October and I, I did not kill a buck on this hunt. So I'm going to go back and try again, but we do have some good stories and, and uh, yeah, it's a, it was an awesome time. Right on. Well, let's, uh, let's take care of business. I think, uh, I'd, lo- I'd love to give away something to our Patreon supporters. Uh, we really appreciate you guys bearing with us and supporting the podcast. Um, so thank you to all the guys out there uh, who are Patreon supporters. And if you're not, uh, you can check us out, uh, Patreon backslash TradQuest. Uh, there's a tab on our website. There's a tab on our Instagram. Um, and if you support the podcast, uh, we like to give stuff away. So today... We got from our good buddy Bob over at Great Northern Quivers. We've got a really awesome uh, water buffalo side quiver. It's got like a leather strap on it. It's a leather quiver and you kind of wear it on your side. It's really nice. So that's what we're giving away. Yeah. So who's the lucky winner, Bob? All right. We got, I think I got it right, Roger Harrington. Is that right? Yeah, Roger Harrington. Perfect, yep. Awesome. So well, Thanks, Roger, for uh, the support. And yeah, James will ship that thing out to you. And thanks, Bob, a great northern. Yeah, we... Um, make some awesome quivers, so we really appreciate him hooking us up. He does. I actually just got his um, extreme kickback wrap-on 
with the water buffalo on my Tolkien longbow. And I was having all these problems with my bow and my quiver. It was just, I had to have the right quiver. And this quiver is awesome on this bow. I'm super confident going into season with this setup. So yeah, thanks again, Bob. We'll uh, go ahead and get to the show. We uh, thank you guys for your patience, and we hope you enjoy some coastal California blacktails with Joaquin Curtimunch. Welcome back to the Track Quest podcast. I got my brother from another mother, Joaquin. What is going on, buddy? Oh, not much. Just uh, living the dream. We've had uh, Joaquin on. Last uh, elk season, me and uh, Joaquin hit the Roosevelt Woods and put a bunch of time in there and had a good time. And we kind of, uh, well, we, I guess me and Joaquin found each other through social media for our love of blacktail deer. Yep. Uh, you uh, slid into my DMs. Yeah, so well. And uh, you co- I think you had, like, commented or started following me or something and then... Um, I think you'd ask me a question about some the, some deer where I live, and you would just said, "Man, I want to come and hunt. I love black-tailed deer." And I said, "Come on down, dude." And that was that was a few years ago, actually. Three years and, ago, um, I hunted, with, you know, hunted with you for elk first, and then because um, we actually happened to hunt the same area in Oregon for um, late season, actually, yeah. Yeah. as it turns out. And um, we, so we had that in common, and just a general love of a uh, love of, of black-tailed deer and everything about them, and yeah. a year-round uh, a year-round love. I think Obsession. that's one of the things yeah. that, that yeah that kind of like that allows me to you know I connect with you a little bit more about it too because you're thinking blacktail all year long. Yeah, like you're like, what are they doing now? Or, yeah, not know, just well f- scout scouting elk too, but you yeah. know, like all year. Yeah, exactly. It's not just a fall thing or a hunting season thing. Uh, I mean, we pull over to the side of the road to look at junior bucks. I mean, it, 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 <laughs> they, uh, they, they all get my attention. Yeah, I agree. Does, fawns, all that good stuff. Yeah, I had one guy say, well, he's just a forking horn. And I'm like, yeah, but what do you think he's going to be next year? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That's the thing. He's, he's got a future. Yeah. He's got a future. Yeah, and I'm interested. I... I I was driving today and I passed like a, there was a spike by fork and then there was a little spike and I said, get off the road. <laughs> you know, I tried to educate him, you know, get out of here. You're not yeah. going to make it. I stopped my truck in the middle of a corner because this buck was standing in the road. Little, I think it was a spike and I jumped out and I rushed him into the bushes and yelled and screamed at him. <laughs> I was like, dude, you are not going to see two years old with this attitude, with this kind of behavior. You're like a chaperone. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. They're silly. There's a, you know, I've, I've, you've heard that um, quote, I'm sure, where it's like the, the breakover between a two-year-old deer, which is the dumbest thing in the world, and a three-year-old deer is huge in blacktail. You know, they're just, all of a sudden, they're a completely different animal. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, I don't know if you can use dog ears, you know, like a dog, seven for every year but it's right. i think it's kind of like that it's like he's seven years old yeah he's, he's seven yeah. years old and then he's he's 14 years old he's like hey, he's 14 years yeah. old but he's 21 he's like okay he's an adult now yeah. he's got uh he's got he's the bad stuff happen yeah yeah and he's made it through that so now he's got uh yep. an education 
So yep. what, where did you find this passion? Where do you, can you think like how it began, uh, when, where you were? Well, I mean, it, there was really two phases to it. You know, I had a fairly rough, uh, you know, childhood and it was good for a while and then it got bad for a while. But when it was good, um, I don't really remember much deer stuff. Uh, not a lot, um, happened. My, it was, you know, I, I looked back on this not too long ago, actually. My dad got into shooting, uh, but archery. He bought me a bow and my mom a bow and him a bow and he put some straw bales in the backyard. We lived out in the middle of nowhere. How old were you? And we were, sh- God, I was probably like five, maybe okay. four or five, maybe, yeah, about four or five. And, uh, then he got tennis elbow real bad mm-hmm. from it Yeah, and he, and he stopped and then, and the, and the bales rotted and, you know, and, and, uh, it just kind of like fell away. It was the whole thing. It just sort of fell away yeah. into, into nothing. And so that, I remember a little bit of archery then, um, and I remember seeing deer and stuff, but I don't ever remember, um, you know, too much of it. And then I remember my mom, <clears throat> my dad was gone a lot. He would travel a bit and I would stay home with my mom and she had a garden. She was, you know, she came from a poor upbringing in Missouri and, uh, you know, canned and put away food. And so we had a garden when we lived here and there was this buck that kept getting in her garden. And she was really upset about this thing. And I remember, I remember her blasting that thing fully, fully poached, you know, no tag. <laughs> she didn't have a light. She didn't have a license. She locked me in the bedroom. I was freaking out. I remember screaming and like yelling. I just wanted to, I just wanted to be part of the hunt. And she opened the door. She cracked the front door. It was probably 30, 40 yards to our, uh, to our garden from the front door. She slit, cracked the front door and slid out a, uh, lever action 44 mag um and with a scope on it and she blasted this deer and it ran you know less than 100 yards and 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 uh, expired or died or whatever however you want to word it and then she called this local guy of ours who had a little like a little terrier and he came over i remember and that was how she was they figured out they were going to track the dog the dog and we walked down there and tracked it and Threw it in a wheelbarrow and wheelbarrow it back to our house and hung it up. And man, I tell you, my mom was, she was really funny, really silly. She had a really good sense of humor. You know, she was aware of, of herself and, you know, how funny, how much of a dork she was, you know. She was so uh, proud of that buck. She took the antler and had a, a local guy make a knife out of it, this buck handle, uh, buck handle knife. And I remember this picture of her standing with her hip all poked out with this knife on her hip for me that was like the first bit of of like hunting you know like it wasn't really hunting but but it was my mom you know we'd all the meat we cooked up and she was so proud of it and i I just remember that knife that was like her prized possession that was the trophy yeah and then um you know everything fell apart and uh then i got a stepdad and my stepdad was um a local uh tribe here is the wailaki indian um they're like a uh, an Indian group that lived on the coast and then traveled back inland, I believe. I don't know a ton about them, but um, he was really, uh, he was a woodsman, you know, and, but also a poacher. So we, so we would go out and spotlight deer um, at night and shoot them and then drive home and wait an hour. So the ranger would go away and then we'd come back and get them and bring them home and, 
you know, we would be in the creeks, you know, gigging fish or netting them or, you know, I was, I think, nine at the time and it was subsistent. Um, that's what we did. It wasn't, we, I went on a couple hunts with them, um, but it was never, never by the letter of the law. And I just remember wanting to tell stories and wanting to talk to people. And, and it was just something you, you only had a select group of friends. You could really tell about it because, you know, you don't want to get in trouble. And I, then everything, you know, kind of, I just ended up living with different families after that. And, um, you know, kind of bouncing from household to household. And I never really had uh, a household that was like really into hunting. So I didn't really have that in my life. The family that <clears throat> adopted me, um, well, not illegal adopted, but I, I came for the weekend and never left. That family, they didn't hunt. Um, I mean, they shot a buck every once in a while, but they didn't hunt. And so I, I just I just didn't have it. And then um, I came back into it really because I had, I had a lot of, um, I had a lot of questions about ethics, um, about what, you know, inside the law, outside the law, you know, disregarding that about what they were doing and how they were doing it. And I remember when uh, my wife and I found out we were going to have a, a son, you know, and, and I had thought, well, who's going to teach him if he wants to hunt? who's going to teach him, you know, and I have a really great friend who's a, you know, he's an incredible hunter and, and, you know, um, I would, I would, you know, assume that he would teach him more, you know, other people that are involved in my life. But I also thought, well, I want to be knowledgeable on this subject. So I really decided that I was going to at least learn to hunt because I wanted to be able to pass that on. And, um, so I just started researching and started listening to podcasts and, um, started walking around and trying to, and reading books and buying all the, you know, all the, all the books that you know about and then I know about all the ones, um, you know, Blacktail Secrets and, you know, um, Trophy Blacktails and Cam Haynes' book and, you know, Dwight Shoes' books about hunting and, you know, High Country Mule Deer and everything that I could read about Blacktail deer hunting, I read and read and read because that's what lives where, where I live. And then a friend of mine, I took the hunter safety course. I went through that with a bunch of 10 year olds. <laughs> I was the only, I was like the only old man there. And, uh, I took hunter safety course. I got my license and it, I had bought a used rifle, um, from a friend of mine. And that was my plan. My plan was to, you know, go out and shoot a deer. And then a, a friend of mine that I fish with and stuff, he's like, man, you should shoot a bow. And I go, Oh dude, I only got like a month before season. You know, I, I'm not doing that. And he goes, dude, he goes, you could do it. He's like, you could do it. You could get it down or you could be deadly within 20 yards in no time at all. And I really kind of resisted. Well, he pushed me a little bit more and he brought over a bow one day. They came over for dinner and he brought over a bow and he's like, let's go shoot. And I was like, oh, okay. So he showed me and I, you know, and I put the thing on my wrist and, I, you know, we pull, I pull the bow back and shoot. And I'm like, oh, Okay. Like, this isn't that hard. It's like a process, right? You know, like you, you A to B to C to D and then, you know, release. And, you know, and I was like, he's like, you're deadly. You know, you're deadly to 20 yards. And I was like, oh, okay. This, this is, this is doable. Well, then I bought a bow and then I just started shooting all the time. And, um, I, you know, that's how I kind of fell into archery. And I've, I still, I haven't killed a deer 
with a rifle. Um, I, I would like to. I probably will. Yes, credit my mother. I guess I would credit my mother for, for getting me into hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, she didn't come from hunting, and my father is not a hunter. I came from uh, fishing, uh, mm-hmm. ocean fishing. And uh, grew up fishing and, you know, come from a long line of uh, commercial fishermen and divers. And I, I remember my dad going rabbit hunting as a kid with, like, his cousin and he brought home some rabbits. Like, that's the only hunting I could ever remember my father doing. And I did remember that being pretty cool and wanting to be a part of that, but it didn't happen. Um, but mom ended up marrying a hunter. And I got exposed to game meat. And I remember that that was, I was super interested in that. I've always been a foodie. And the game meat was really, really interesting to me. And uh, Wally, my stepdad, he hunted, uh, you know, Wyoming and Montana and Idaho and Canada and Alaska. And he would have moose and bison and whitetail and mule deer and antelope and so I was really could dig into their freezer and and have a lot of different experiences um and uh one day they said you know uh the freezer's getting a little low I think you need to get your own meat (laughs) that's what happened and I thought oh geez guys that's kind of rude and uh Mm -hmm. so they they set me up and you know, long story short, I got an elk tag and a rifle and shot an elk and, you know, got into rifle hunting. Uh, blacktails was kind of uh, the local animal besides the elk, but the, the elk seemed so congested. It seemed so yeah. popular. It seemed like you couldn't find a group to hunt with and you kind of needed a group, it seemed, at, from an outsider. Yeah. And the elk mm-hmm. hunting is so... Um, insane in Oregon during rifle season. I mean, thousands of people in the woods. It's it's mayhem. Uh, so I kind of was like, I like this blacktail hunting because you go out to hunt a blacktail and there's no one in the woods. And so I instantly thought that that was cool. And then I got my hands on uh, Boyd Iverson's book and it was all over. I mean, I think Boyd is my foundation for sure. Like he's the guy that like gave me the ideas of studying blacktail deer and, uh, you know, becoming a blacktail nut per se. Yeah. I listened to, uh, uh, you know, one of the things that I would credit for me, like a, a huge, huge, um, jumpstart that I got was I listened to this podcast and it's called the I don't know if it's still on, but it's called the Big Buck Registry. Yeah. And it, and it's like a whitetail podcast. Yeah. And um, what I liked about it a lot was they would get local hunters or guys that were really, you know, proficient or had killed a really good buck. <clears throat> and get them on there and talk. And then my favorite part about it, though, was that they would break down their favorite hunt. And they would want them to talk about what kind of, you know, what kind of gear they were using and what was the wind like? <clears throat> what was the weather like? And for me, I was able to listen to a few stories of people. I listened to so many of them, but stories of guys that they 
could recall every detail because it was their very favorite hunt. Right. And it's like you were with them. And I remember being along on those hunts and, and like the things that had gotten in the way or things that had gone wrong. And that for me, that made a huge, um, you know, improvement in my learning curve because I, you just don't, you don't get things like that. That I really, I really learned a lot from that podcast, even though it was whitetail, you know, it didn't have really anything to do with uh, whitetail. Yeah. Fact, a lot of the tactics were totally different, but I think that just being along in those stories helped me, you know, interrupt so many mistakes that I would have had. I had, I had kind of answers, you know, I had that, like a, almost like a mentor, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Something. No. Cause I didn't, I didn't have a partner either. That's, one of the things that I really, when you were saying that, I, I had a really <clears throat> strong feeling that when I was starting, I remember feeling like you needed a hunting partner. Yeah. Everybody had a hunting partner. Yeah. And it was and hard. Like, yeah. 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 Like everyone or groups and everyone I tried to get a part of, yeah. there wasn't room. They don't, they don't yeah. come on, man. They don't want you in there. Yeah, newbie. You know, like. Yeah, well, it's like, you know, they got to help you this and help you that, and you're bringing along gadgets and gizmo. You're trying to contribute, yeah. and you're probably not. You're definitely not contributing. Yeah. And then all. the big fear, I think, for everyone to bring somebody into the fold is will this person try to bring somebody else into the fold? Is it, Are we bringing one in or are we bringing 10 in? Because a I lot of guys that, will, will go, think, go with somebody once or twice, and then they – they go, oh, I'll just start my own group and we'll go there. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think it's the spot. Yeah, the A lot spot. of it is the spot. Yeah. Because if you're trying to get in with some, I mean, the, you can get in with some guys that don't kill anything, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, but, and they don't kill anything because they're really not, and they, maybe they're having a great time or they're, um, you know, they're getting a different experience out of it. But if you want to learn to kill animals, you need to be with someone who is, you know, who's good at it. And those guys are generally not recruiting. No, you know, yeah. no. <laughs> um, they might take you. I did have a guy <clears throat> that took me along my first year hunting. I, ba I basically just, um, I hunted with one, my, my buddy who talked me into getting into archery. I hunted with him a couple of times and we, and we still hunt pretty much, um, you know, through timber and stuff. And, um, then this other buddy of mine, I had a real big, you know, ideal version of, backcountry hunting and I live in an area where there's a bit of wilderness and um it's pretty rugged and uh, I had this plan I was going to go into that I was going to go into this wilderness and I was going to at least see what it was like and my first day of hunting that's what I did I I went up on top of this um went to the top of this into this road and hiked down through all this stuff and I came down through and I I mean it is it's thick where I live and and steep and deep and dry and loud and I got on a buck and I almost killed this buck like right if you know if if I had killed that buck I, I'm really I think I probably would have looked back at it and, and kind of regretted it because it, it it's supposed to be hard right? yeah but it was yeah. my first day of, it was my well, first day of hunting it and well, I passed because I didn't I couldn't really see I couldn't see all of his antlers and I, I could see the main beam, the curl of his main beam. I could see his whole body, but his head was kind of behind this tree and I couldn't tell if he was legal. I couldn't tell if he was a fork and horn or better. I, you know, now I know, you know, right. now I yeah. know for a fact yeah. if a buck is, has a, a pot belly and a sway back and a big old chunky brisket and he's, and he's, and I can see his ear and his ears all torn up. He's probably got a fork and horn on there, yeah. you know, at least, yeah. but 
that, um, I did have a guy after that hunt, I got on that deer, I got on another deer and I thought I could do this. And then I, this other guy I was talking to a local guy here who's, you know, hunted the wilderness here for a long time. I was like, man, I really want to go up, uh, you know, go up and hunt up there. And he was like, I'll go with you. And I'm like, really? He goes, yeah. And, uh, he's like, you know, we'll do three days or four days or something like that. And so I went with him and man, that was, that was huge. Yeah, it is huge. I mean, I remember my first hunt lasted five minutes with a rifle. I seen an elk and I shot it and it was over. And I I told my stepdad, I was like, ah, there's nothing to this. And he's like, well, you know, you kind of got beginner's luck. You got lucky. (laughs) And he's like, I've been a rifle hunter my whole life. And he goes, I came from a different place in a different era. He goes, but if I was your age, son, he goes, you need to go to the archery shop and buy a bow. And I'm like, why? And he's like, I'm telling you, it's going to create more opportunity, less people in the woods, longer seasons. He goes, if I was your age, I wouldn't even think twice. I would go get a bow. And uh, I rifle. I went on to rifle hunt for a few years, and I went on to hear that from him over and over again until I, you know, f- finally, uh, I guess, basically, finally found myself in a rifle situation where I was being shot at by other rifle hunters. And I thought, okay, <laughs> time to fire. Time to buy Friendly a bow. Fire. Time to buy a bow. But yeah. it was hard. I couldn't really find a mentor in rifle hunting besides my stepdad, who was kind of on his way out of hunting. Like he was in a phase in his life of the hard hunts were over and now he was going on, you know, some guided hunts and some out of state hunts with his friends, uh, his lifetime friends. They're in retirement. There was no room for me in those situations or scenarios. Um, you know, and and my, my brother-in-law had his group. And so, yeah, you just kind of, you have to, Finding mentorship uh, can really ease the, the the learning curve for sure, but it's not always the easiest thing to do. Yeah. So, so for, for me, it was, I, like you said, it, it was books and and the internet, but as soon as you run out of blacktail yeah. media, which is like, what, there's like five books? You read all those. Yeah, you read all those, and you read what a few guys are willing to say about them, and then you mm-hmm. turn – to mule deer and you realize that they're not the same. And then you turn to whitetail folks and you realize they're not the same, but there's so many similarities. And if you Mm -hmm. find guys that are not hunting them in the Midwest, but guys that are hunting them in the big woods, hunting them on public, hunting them on the ground or in trees, you can, you can start to gain knowledge from those guys. I mean, don't you think for, for blacktail hunting? Yeah, I think that, um, I mean, I identify as a still hunter, I guess is what I would say. And there are a lot of guys that still hunt. I, I listened to this <clears throat> really good podcast with a guy who was a rifle still hunter. And he, that's how he hunted. And, yeah. But he liked to hunt in the snow. And, a lot of, and none of those things are similar to what I do. No. But, but the, there was a lot of things that were similar. You know, like he really liked to go in and, um, you know, sit by a tree. And he liked to go in and he cut tracks. We don't really have tracks. And I was trying to think, well, how can I hunt like that? But he had a lot of things in his preparation that I brought into mind where he was like, well, I choose my, my weapon based on the fact that, you know, I can shoot fast, you know, and, you know, how I track deer and what I do and how I stay away from other people. So it was like everything, like you're saying, there's, there's something to be taken from everything and, and from everyone else's style and, and approach that, that you can 
cater to your own. You know, I mean, it, there are things that even, even if, if you're watching a hunting show where they're, um, you know, hunting from a, a, a one of those ladder blinds, the big boxes that are up yeah. in the sky yeah. and, and there's a feeder yeah. and there's a shooting lane and they're shooting with rifles um, and they're shooting Axis bucks in Texas. I really do think that you could take something from that, you know, you know, maybe what I notice about things like that is, you know, those, they're, they're outlasting their, those deer. They're, they're, they're making them come into these, into these shooting lanes, but those deer don't want to, you know I mean? They're, they're breaking that cover and how they break that cover, you know, how they skirt around in the shadows. Well, the same thing happens in a meadow in a real timbered area. They do not want to come into that meadow at all, you know, and they're going to, try to get wind and they're going to move around and they're going to do all this stuff. And it, it, there's, it's like even the stuff that doesn't even nearly apply to what you're doing. There's some, there's, there's some nuggets in there. If you put all that together and you read enough and watch enough and hunt with enough people, you kind of build your own interpretation, you know? Yeah. That's, that's my opinion on it. I, 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 I listen when people, when, when people talk about hunting, I listen. I like how you, there's, uh, not, there's something in there. I like how you said you identify as a still hunter. Um, and yeah. that, that kind of makes me think back to my foundation with Boyd, Boyd Iverson. He wrote, uh, two books, uh, Blacktail Trophy Tactics, one and two, yep. I believe. Yep. yep. And he, uh, goes on in that, in that book talking about his love and passion for still hunting, even though he matures into a stand hunter. He still yeah. says blacktails are number one and still hunting them is number one. It's the ultimate, it's the ultimate challenge. And Have you ever read that? Um, there's a book, uh, there's this white tail, it's a white tail book. I gotta think of the name of it. I'll, I'll, have to, I'll have to get the name and send it to you. You can add it in the links, but it is, they say it's the, mo it's the most famous whitetail hunting book ever. It's only like 188 pages long. It's like a little pamphlet almost. No, I never heard um, of it. It's, uh, I bought, I've, I bought multiple copies of the thing. It's kind of, it's really hard to find. Um, but it, it's basically just this guy who, who started, it's doctor. I'll, I'll find it for you. But anyways, it's, it's his, it's his take on, on hunting and how he does the things and he's real, really analytical and he documents everything and he makes notes and he writes things down and he starts, um, you know, cr creating a case study almost in, in hunting instead of just going out there and, and, you know, being successful or not successful, he's compiling data and he's, he's able to look back at that data and build pattern, you know, for himself, you know, which is like, well, I didn't shower, you know, and I, and I walked in the woods this way and, you know, it's like, then another time where he's like, well, I tried this different stuff or I did this or I did that. You know, there's all yeah. these different things that he compiles that, that he, that he looks at and he starts seeing, seeing patterns and he's able to pattern deer. And I think that for me, little things like that, where you, you analyze what you're doing and how you're messing things up, it, it improves your chance of success, you know, greatly. And it also improves your feeling of uh that you're actually doing something when you're out in the woods yeah you know i was hunting with <laughs> hunting with uh you know uh, jack uh jack lander from uh, cold and rosy mm -hmm. 
what up, Jack? He came down and hunted with me. <laughs> How's it going, Jack? He came down and hunted with me. He didn't get a tag or a license or a license. He just wanted to come down and just hang with me and see what it was like where I hunt. And we were still hunting um, through this area. We we're on this trail. There was a there's a local trail here, and we were cruising through it. And there was like no sign, you know, nothing. And their mosquitoes are eating him alive because he has that sweet Oregon blood that mm. they really like so much. And um, I mean, he's just like getting decimated. And I'm moving through, and we get all the way through this little, you know, we probably go a mile and a half, and He's, you know, he's really good. You know, he's behind me. He's quiet. He's doing stuff. And we stop and we're standing there and he's like, Hey, he goes, I got a question for you. I go, what do you got? And he goes, well, um, so what do you, how do you, how do you feel about what we just did? <laughs> and I was like, I go, well, I said, there's a couple of things. I said, I, um, I'm in here because I've seen, I've seen, doe, I've seen rut sign in here and I've seen does and fawns that use this area. And I said, and there's a time of year where I live where I will see big, mature blacktail bucks um, after they split from a group that they may hang with, or if they're just a solo buck that doesn't hang with another group of bucks, I will see them with a doe. And a lot of times my suspicion is that that is their mom. And they spend anywhere from, you know, a day to three or four days. I have bucks that I will see a specific time of year with a doe who has a yearling and she has a fawn hanging around and I will never see that buck in that same place again, but I'll see him every year in that same place. And are you time. talking so I told him, I said, July, August, this behavior happens? Yeah. Cause we, our season starts the fourth Saturday in July. So I will start seeing that if you were to, it doesn't necessarily, it's, I would, it's not really about the date. It's about the, when, if you listen to, um, Tom Ryle, his podcast on hunt back country, I think it's number 45. Yeah. He talks about blacktail and he talks about the rut not being a thing, but an actual, it's a, it's a, it's a process. And it starts when they start when the velvet the comes feeling off. of, yeah. well, when they separate, you know, they separate or maybe, or they rub their velvet, but it changes their behavior. And that's what I believe. And I yeah. think that that they go in any ways, the bucks of where I live around it. I, I think it's like, they don't want to hang around with those, their buddies anymore. They're not, they're not feeling it they don't want to be around them and maybe they just kind of want to, they go back and they want to be around women or what their deal is. And so then yeah. maybe they go hang around with their mom. I don't, I don't know why it is, but I, it's something I, that I've noticed. So I told, I told him, I said, that's why I'm in here. I said, because maybe there's a night, nice, I know that there's a nice buck that lives around here. I've seen some really big rubs a little ways away from here. And I'm just kind of hoping maybe he's in here with his mom and he's like, okay. And he goes, but there's no sign. And I go, yeah, I go, I lie to myself. And I'm like, if there's stuff like browse that they've been eating and I'm walking through a place and it looks like nothing has been eaten for two or three weeks. I'm like, that looks like it's prime eating. So I'm like, he's about to come back in here. You know? That's how I so think too. Buddy. I, have this, I have this way of like taking up, you know, and, and trying to find a positive. And the other thing I told him, I said, I'm trying to figure out the wind. Um, I want to hang a camera down here. I want to know. Um, I just wanted to gather information on this spot. I may not actually be having a high expectation, Whoa. but I'm, scouting and hunting well dude like as a still hunter you have to convince or lie to yourself that there's a four-point buck in every setup and every piece that you're going to push through and pick apart slow you you have to convince yourself that because otherwise you're just going to walk through the woods it's not spot and stock you're not setting up on a hot trail in a stand like you have to 
convince yourself that he's in there. Otherwise, you won't be proficient. Yeah, I agree. I think I think one of the the hardest things about hunting is that you need to hunt with confidence, but not cockiness. Right. And how do you gain gain that confidence if you are just beginning? It's like you said it. But the reality of it is, man, if you are hunting a place that is not holding deer, I don't care how confident you are, you are not going to kill a deer. <laughs> you know, yeah. you can't kill them where they ain't. No, you it's can't really kill where they is. ain't. So how do you how do you acquire that, and how do you find that? It's like you have to do enough. You have to be realistic and honest with yourself, and you have to you have to run into some deer. Yeah. You have to. You got to bump yeah. some deer. You got to make some and, mistakes. You got to figure out why you're not seeing them. And and honestly, the if I had one thing that I would say the the key to that, the difference between the days when I go in the woods and I don't see anything and the days that I go in the woods where I do see something, whether it be a fawn with a doe or, you know, a yearling deer or a nice mature buck or something like that, is obey the wind. Don't, yeah. don't take its advice. You have to obey it. And you have to, we have wind like you guys have wind. We have, um, we don't have a lot of thermals because we're coastal. Um, we have a lot of swirling wind. We have a lot of wind that bounces off ridges because a lot of the ridges, you know, kind of terminate at the same elevation. So there's all these different little pockets and I will, I will obey the wind, but I will also, when I'm walking along and the wind is swirling or pushing off something and it's at my back, I'll just walk faster until I get through that pocket. And then I know I'm back in to an area where the wind is coming across or it's coming in my face or it's, you know. Quartering or something like that, but you you really, man, if you don't obey the wind, you just aren't gonna see deer because they're shy. You oh, know, yeah. they don't yeah. like the way you smell. I like to call the coastal wind uh, bipolar, bipolar wind. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's, uh, it's got many personalities and it's always changing. If you don't yeah. like it, just wait a minute. It'll 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 get and in your you favor can, and change again and you can use you can use it i mean some of my most effective places that i hunt where i see deer i use that wind yeah i I use it in a way where i will if i have a really good route that i'm like man i could sneak up on some deer here because where i live it's it's bone dry um it's heavily forested the ground cover is you know three to four inches thick of leaves and twigs and branches we have fir tan oak we have a little bit of black oak and a little bit of live oak, but mostly it's fir and tan oak here. Yeah, um, I, I beg to differ. I think it's mostly poison oak, bro. <laughs> yeah, you're right. There's poison oak. Anywhere there's, where there's a little bit of light, uh, rocky soil, there's, there's poison oak. Yeah. I don't mind the poison oak at all. I, I like it. It's, hey, it's one of my very favorite I did, tactics. I, uh, I, I came to California and hunted black-tailed deer, and I came home, and I have no poison oak, so I'm feeling good about it. That's funny. I got a text from Jack last night and he just, it just, it just reads, dude, I officially don't get poison oak. <laughs> I was like, uh, I was like, that's awesome, man. Bold I statement. took him through, <laughs> I took him through some stuff. I mean, yeah. I, if he was going to get it, he was going to get it with me. Right. I took him, we get head high, we get head high, you know, poison oak, oh, yeah. you know, walls of it that you, you got to go through because that's what they feed on. They really like that's a really good food source oh, yeah, for them. Right. Say, I don't know what the protein breakdown. If I was the whitetail guy, I would definitely study and find out, um, you know, what the food, how that it qualifies as a food source. 
But man, do they like poison oak here? Oh, they I'm just sure. they really do. I'm sure it's uh, really high up on the scale of being a, a, a you know one of the number one food sources. I know here on the coast, uh, Oregon coast, where I live, uh, blackberry bushes, not the berries, the bushes. That's yep. Yep. that's yep. number one food source in the wintertime here. A lot of people don't realize that, but yeah, they that's, love they love those same the same things here. Yeah. Um, so back to what I was saying about the about the, the wind. oak stuff. It's like oh, the oaks. Yeah, the wind in the and oaks. If I find if I have a where I live, the deer populations are not high, and that's because the habitat is not very good. But there are islands of deer, and when I say an island, I mean like there's you know ninety. It's like steelhead fishing. Yeah, pockets. It's like ninety ninety nine percent of the river doesn't hold fish. They tra- they have to travel through it to get from one spot to the other. But there's really only a seat. There may be a pocket in there that's three feet wide and twelve feet long, and that's where those fish stack up. And so you have to figure out how to fish that and where what what water and you know does yeah. it hold fish when the water's high or not high. Well, yeah. that's how. It- blacktail lives here and so if i find a, an island of, of where deer are using a place where there's water or feed or um a, a, a pathway if, if, if they're migrating through it they, they're moving from one drainage to another and it's a it's rarely if there happens to be a way that i can move through it quietly i think okay this is a place where i want to still hunt and you know how am i going to still hunt this effectively how am i going to get to this place a lot of it is that. And if it's a place where I know the wind is going to be poor, it's actually going to push my wind through it. I will try to find a way that maybe I am, you know, upwind and out of threat, like out of being an immediate threat to a bedding area or an area where they may be feeding. And I will try to not do a hard bump, but maybe like a soft bump where you make them uncomfortable because they know that you're around and maybe they pass through that area that you want to be going through as their escape route or, you know, their way that they get away. And so I will make a big loop around that area and then I will just move at a, at a consistent pace, not, not, um, not my slow, slow still hunting pace. But when I get to my little alleyway that I have that I can actually be silent and I have good wind, I just click it into four low and I just move at, I, I have a, I just have this, um, pace that I move at it. We take me and, I, me and my son, we, we take three steps. We take three um, steps, not real fast, but, you know, consistent. And then we stop and we look and we listen. And um, I try to move 5% of the time. And 95% of the time I try to be looking and listening. And that, that's my little equation that I break down. And when I get to that little spot, that little alleyway, it may only be 50 yards or 60 yards, or maybe it's longer, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's two little spots in succession. But when I'm going through there, I just know that if there was a deer in that whole bedding area, I have pushed him into this escape route, or maybe he didn't catch my wind. Maybe he is in there, but that's, that's how I still hunt. You know, if you, I've had days where I'll still hunt all day long. And it's like you're fishing the whole river, man. They're just, no, (laughs) might catch him. You might catch a migrating fish. You have to, I was wanting to get into this. So I do the same thing. You have to kind of choose your sets. You know, you move through, like you were saying, through the habitat and you see a spot that you think looks good. You convince yourself he's in there and you do it. Um, The tough part is 
where to start and stop and how to stay 100% focused. Because if you're not, then you're not still hunting. And man, I don't know how many times for me where I'm executing this. I'm like, yes, I'm moving through. Everything's great. And then I get to the point where I'm like, okay, I'm going to move to the next pocket. And I'm at that end of that pocket. And when as soon as I let my guard down, that's when that buck is bedded right next to me and gets up and runs or whatever. Uh, it is tough to keep that concentration and and choose those battles as you move through. Well, how many times, you know, <clears throat> steelhead fishing, it's the exact same thing. It's like you cast, you're drifting through, you're in the slot, you're just anticipating the bite, you're anticipating the bite, and it just doesn't happen and it doesn't happen and it doesn't happen and you're through the slot and you're all the way and you're the the line's like swinging to you and you're kind of like oh man you drop your rod tip and you start reeling and wham they hit it's because you let your guard down you know yeah. you just you you have to realize that 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 those fringe areas while not high percentage sometimes when i when i'm hiking <clears throat> i use bear trails a lot because bear have nice flat padded feet and they create um where i live they create almost a stair step pattern and in those stair step patterns i can i can move along and be pretty quiet the only problem with bear trails is they're only about three or four feet tall so you're tucked under stuff a lot of the time but yeah and the problem also you I, have is it's so steep that it's yeah. not like you're in flat ground with the wind where you can manipulate what the wind's doing by moving to the left or moving no. to the right you have a set area you can move through and the wind is what you have to choose if it's worth if you're going to make noise if there, if you have a choice between which you're you are going to have a choice and your choice is stay silent and have bad wind or make a ton of noise and have good wind yeah. i will make a ton of noise Always. and have good wind Always. because because when when i've seen deer see me they'll have a reaction. And when I see deer that don't see me win me, it is a whole nother reaction. Yeah. I, I liken it to, I use this example a lot where I explain to people that when it, it's like, if you're in your house <clears throat> sitting on your couch and you hear something and you're like, what is that sound? You know, and you're like trying to place it and you're like, what is that? You know, you're kind of going through your mind and you're like, yeah, it sounds like a, crackling sound you're like is that a, is the neighbors having a campfire like can you stand up and you look outside you see this campfire and you're like oh they're having a campfire well that's that's one way to take it the other way to take it is you're sitting on your couch and uh you see like a glow maybe reflected on the wall and you're like what is that and it's like waning and you're like is that fire and you get up and you look and you're like oh, oh okay it's in the neighbor's yard but dude if you're sitting on your couch and you smell something burning you are in go mode instantly you were like is it in my house is it my house is it my neighborhood is it like it just it is it's in smell incites panic at times and i see the same thing in deer it's like if they see you they're trying to identify you and they're like okay i see him does he see me you know what's he doing um because you know where it's at when you see it you yeah and if you hear it you're like huh i hear it and then if you stop hearing it that's when it gets a little sketchy so that's why if I'm moving through a place and it's loud, I just, I let them know by continuing to move. Or I, if I make one, if I pop one twig, I will freeze. Yeah, five minutes. I don't want a, yeah. I don't want a succession of noise. Right. I want one noise because stuff makes noise in the woods. It just depends. You know, I mean, there's so many Dude, different. Dude, we heard some so deer 
making all kinds of noise. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. They're loud. Yeah. But they're, they make a different noise. I've had, when I started doing that three-step thing, even in loud country, the way that I kind of felt like I was, that it was an effective way for me. And I do three steps because I, I think that that is not a normal pattern. It is really hard to not take a fourth step. And I don't know why it is, but it is like you will cheat. If you're not honest with yourself, you'll be taking four steps real quick. But if you make yourself stop at three steps, I think that's a pattern that animals use. Because I've been hiking through the woods real slow, and I'll start still hunting, and I'll be using my three-step pattern. Dude, I've had fawns come running up to me, you know, like because they think that I'm making a deery noise, or maybe I'm their mom or something. Fawns are not very smart, but at right. the same time, when that happened to me, I was like, well, okay, well, I don't sound like a person. There was a podcast that I listened to that this guy was saying, people have a cadence. They have a cadence in the woods that is unlike any other natural animal because they move without fear. They move with confidence and they, they, they move with purpose where an animal is moving. He has to move, you know, and he's, he is aware of the dangers in moving. You know, they're right. And they don't have a door to lock at night. This it is always on. I, for me, that's a, that's a big one is, is I have these little things that play in my head when I'm still hunting. And those are, you know, three steps, move a short percentage of the time, check your wind. You have to have a hundred percent focus. You have to believe that there's going to be an animal. Um, and you, and if there's an issue, like I said, if you make a noise, freeze, stop and, and, and really examine a place. Um, I, I liken it to windows or alleys. Cause if you're in thick country and you take, sometimes it's one step, all of a sudden there are little alleyways that open up and you better examine every one of those because there's a big, there's a, it's not very often the deer is bedded right off the trail and he, you know, and he has his back to you. And, and when you come around the corner, there he is and he doesn't know you're there. That happens, but, but not very often. A lot of times it's, you'll catch an eyeball, you know, or a hindquarter of a buck with his head down and you have just enough time to step back one step. Now you're out of his line of sight. And maybe he's out of range and you got to figure out what you're going to do. And if, and if you're moving fast, you just, you just don't get that. And those are opportunities. Right. You know, you're passing up. So transitioning from the steel hunting to, uh, um, like, I guess not transitioning, but you know, as we, as I was planning to come to California to hunt blacktails, Mm-hmm. Um, mind you, for the folks listening that don't realize, California has some of the earliest deer seasons opening in the country, um, mm-hmm. being that you're hunting summer deer. Yeah. And my foundation, yeah, I pay attention to blacktails year-round, but my foundation and my hunting and my tactics all revolve around the rut. They all revolve around the month of November. I've never killed a blacktail outside of November uh, with a rifle or a bow. Um, and so talking to you about coming to California, I have kind of evolved into identifying as a tree stand hunter when it comes to blacktail yeah. deer. And the reason for that was still hunting and calling deer, I would say, would be my stronger passion and something I pursued for a very long time, uh, with, uh, little success. 
Um, so I uh, learned from the whitetail community and uh, started tree stand hunting and started finding success. And so obviously my confidence uh, is there. So as we're having these conversations, uh, I'm telling Joaquin like, yeah, 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 I want to come hunt. Yeah, yeah. But I really need a chance to sit in a tree because that's where I feel confident in uh, getting opportunity on blacktail deer. So, you know, I, I kind of look back and chuckle on those conversations and how you um, dealt with me in, in uh, the pre preparation for this hunt. Well, I, okay, now I have the same, I've had the same experience because I identify as a still hunter. That's, that's the tactic that I, that I enjoy the most and that I've had the most success in because we just don't have open country here. And so you can't, people are asking me like, they're like, Hey, should I bring my optics? And I'm like, well, you should bring binoculars. I'm like, but uh, where we're going, there is no opening. There, there may be one opening on a ridge and it may be really small, but there's not an opening on the other ridge. So if yeah, you want to look at the other ridge, even if there's but, openings, so, blacktail deer don't love openings. So they hate them. They yeah. hate them. So what I was, but, so I, I tried to take my tactics to Oregon hunting late season blacktail and I was still hunting around and man, it is hard. You, you, the deer are doing a whole different thing. Yeah. So I completely understand your tactic and your reasoning for that tactic. And I tried to translate my tactics up there and it's not, it doesn't work for me. I mean, you can have, you can have success doing it, but I, I've been, I'm trying to find the right terrain and topography for it yeah. to actually, I, you know, apply. I, I laughed at myself because I was like, yeah. you know, you're always learning. And so I knew I was like, man, I love Joaquin. We, we get along great. Yep. And I know that somehow we're going to go on this hunt and I really want to find a way to get into a tree. And <laughs> he's telling me that, that, you know, we're going to backpack hunt. And this is, you know, obviously that leaves the stand out of the location, out of the situation. And I'm like, okay, I'll figure it out. I just want to do this. I just want to do it. Like I knew that like, yeah. uh, I want to go on this adventure um, and, uh, I want to learn some stuff and I'm going to leave I, really at the right before I left, I, I, I was like, okay, I'm going to bring the tree stands and all this stuff, but I'm going to, I'm going to really go down there with an open mind and, um, my expectations. I mean, when I go hunting, of course, I want to fill my tag. I, I, I go out there to wanting to kill, but my expectations were there to, I'm in a new place and I'm there to learn, uh, some stuff. And man, did I ever, I, I realized that black-tailed deer are black-tailed deer and, uh, they change patterns and they change, uh, uh, you know, their behaviors, um, by what's happening the time of year. And, and even though I've never hunted in this time of year, I've observed them around my house in the velvet and it's just a whole nother game. They're not up racing around the woods. So being in a stand uh, with deer that are literally just trying to survive and they're somewhat not mostly nocturnal. Uh, you have like a, a five minute window in the evening and a, a 45 minute in the, in the morning. And, and it's pretty lackluster, uh, stand hunting in the summer. Um, that's like, I don't, 
because after uh, we'll get into it, but we when I came to California, I did some wilderness hunting and I did some stand hunting, and uh, I definitely hold a lot more value in still hunting, which excites me. Yeah, I I mean I think that there are places that you could, there are places that I that I want to still hunt that don't um, in the in this wilderness area that just don't allow it and. Um, in terms of how you're gonna how you're gonna pass through that, there's nowhere to be quiet, and maybe you should get in there and get into a stand. But there's a couple things that I <clears throat> that I really believe in for still hunting, and it builds a lot of confidence in me in, in doing it, and makes me want to do it more. And that is, people talk about blacktail being nocturnal, like you were saying. I I had always believed that they were really just not killable during the day, and I and I think that that's that is a yeah, reality. Because nocturnal well, means that they're bedded, but it doesn't mean they went to another planet. You well, just have to find saying. their beds. That's what I was saying. They're not, they're not gone. They're there. And, this, and it doesn't mean that they're asleep or even bedded all day. It right. just means that they're not visible. Talk to it. And they, don't, and they don't move from what I would say island to island. Right. They don't do that a lot during the day, but I will tell you that I've killed a few bucks in the middle of the day at, in the willows in a creek. Yeah. Nice bucks yeah. because that's, they're, they're smart. They know that the predators don't want to be out in the middle of the heat. It's hot here. You know, it's 90 degrees, a hundred degrees sometimes. And they don't want to be in that. And this, so they know that they have a chance to go get a drink and, um, you know, come back out of there and, and go back to their bed or they can go get a bite to eat. For me, I like hunting the timber because that's where I want to be when it's hot and that's where they want to be when it's hot. And so if I can slip through timber, I will see deer, you know, nocturnal deer, they're feeding, they like get up and they'll feed and then they'll bed back down, but it, it, they're killable. And it's almost like their, their comfort level is so much higher in those places because they get left alone in People don't go into the brush and they don't go into the timber because it's impossible to kill deer in there to, to move around quietly. But if you can find approaches that, that allow you to move with good wind and, and with, you know, in a, in a stealthy way, or even like you're saying, the best way is, you know, if you're going to try to hunt that is from a stand, but they just don't move enough for you to kill deer in the middle of the day in a stand. If you're, if you're planning on going in and setting a stand up and sitting over uh, what you would figure to be a middle of the day food source, I would imagine that that buck is probably fairly close to that middle of the day food source when you're going in there to get in your stand. Yeah. And so that's the problem. There's not a lot of, of, uh, of travel. So you can, one of the things that we talked about, I was like, well, yeah, you could hang a stand there, but when are you going to go get in your stand? Yeah. Your wind. I mean, your wind. These bucks will will bed in a blackberry bush or a poison oak thicket, so they're mm -hmm. bedded in their food source. Yeah. And the only thing I think that's going to get them up is uh, maybe a little bit of uh, water. Um, and it, and where I live, there's enough water on the blackberry bushes to uh, to to uh, keep them satisfied throughout the day. So, yeah, it is it is difficult, and you. If you want to pursue blacktails, um, I really believe it's a year-round quest of educating yourself um, on these a little elusive deer. Yeah, it's finding that for me, 
you know, I like hiking around. And so I'm always, I, I scout with a topo map. Okay. And, and I started doing that because I would, because like I said, there's just, when I first started hunting, I was looking, I looked at all the openings that I could find on Google earth. And I went to all those openings and I didn't see any deer. And I went there at first light and maybe I saw some deer then, but I thought, well, how am I going to hunt that? You know? And then on my way to those places, I found, I walked right past all these really places that I would deem would be the best place to hunt now. You know, I just, I realized when I would see deer, I would think, well, okay, why are they here? And so I would look at all the food sources and I would think, oh, well, then I started thinking of like shape and contour. It's like what you do when you're fishing. If you're fishing in the ocean or lakes, you're looking for contour and yeah. Um, elevation changes and structure what's well, the same thing with deer I, so i started thinking well i found a deer here that's what i did I, I said oh i found a deer here and so i took a screenshot of the topo and then i started looking up and down and around and in and out for areas that had a similar shape and then i started looking at elevation and i was like well okay why is this elevation good and well there's no water there so why are they there you know I just started looking like that. So for me, I, I scout a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I saw, I scout a lot based on what the country's shaped like because it all looks kind of the same from the air, from Google earth. Right. And, but there's a lot of little minute differences and you might, you know, I've been to quite a few places where I feel good about it. And I look in there and I'm like, well, this only holds deer until June. And then it browns off, you know, or, you know, this holds deer in winter or this holds deer in the rut, you know, but it doesn't hold deer when I want it to hold. Right. Is, is, so photography is something that you're known for. Uh, if anyone follows you, um, on Instagram. So do you, did you incorporate photography into your scouting or are, are those separate for you or? That was like a clear, I, 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 I bought a camera, maybe 2010 or something like that. I bought like a Canon 60D. And and when I got it, it came with a kit lens. And then it came with this, this guy was, I bought it at Best Buy and this guy was there. And I was looking at this long lens and I didn't know anything about cameras. And uh, he was like, oh, that's a good lens. And I said, really? And he's like, oh, it's on sale too. It's a, it's a really good lens. And I thought, "Hmm, okay. And so I bought it. And um, that was probably the biggest thing that helped me a lot because the camera had automatic mode it had like a you know you look at the dial and it has a picture of a guy running there's a picture of a mountain it has a picture of a like a incandescent light right so there's like different different settings and so i was like oh well you know i could put it on the sport mode and that would get pictures of stuff and it's not blurry right um that helped me for a long time and that m mode when it says m that was a terrifying mode that manual mode i didn't know what i was doing in there at all and I started care, but I always carried my camera with me. And so I would see, I'd be driving around when I was hunting, I'd be driving around and be walking around and, uh, I'd see some deer and I'd take their picture. And I, at, at some point, I, I remember the, the deer that I actually got a picture of. I, I it's one of my, it's my favorite deer that I ever, I've ever seen. And I saw him and it was January and, uh, he was just out in the middle of this field, like alongside this road. And I remember seeing him, and he was just this giant blacktail. And I thought, oh, my gosh. I mean, I'd, I would cruise a lot. I'd drive a lot during prime time, you know, where you would think evening or early morning. I'd get up early, and I'd go out, and I'd drive around and try to find deer post-rut. 
or rut. And I got this picture of this buck. It was a good picture. It was a great buck. And I thought, I could do this. You know, I can get pictures of deer. So then I started carrying my camera. We don't have a rut hunt here. Um, yeah. It takes, there's, a, there's a blacktail rut hunt in California, but it takes, I think, eight points. Not in my unit. It's, yeah. you know, three, three hours south of me. So I started thinking, well, I'm going to carry my camera in the rut. And I'm going to hunt these deer with my camera. And it, and it taught me because you can't get, I mean, you can if you spend a lot of money on a camera. You can get a picture from a long ways away. But I like to get inside, you know, I like to get into bow range um, and, and even closer. And so that's what really got me into photography, the deer, because it, it allowed me to hunt the rut just with a different weapon. And I just started, it, I got better at stalking because I would go up and hunt um, in Oregon in the rut and I was very good at it. I'd never really been around deer in the rut. And so I, you know, I can't do it here. So I, that's what I started doing. That's, that's, really that's exactly how I feel when I came down there. I was like, wow, like everything I knew about hunting blacktails doesn't apply in the summer because I'm a rut hunting blacktail guy. And so now I have to like change my mind about all this. And I, I realized that still hunting is actually from my little bit I did down there. I'm it's effective. I mean, I didn't get yeah. any shots, uh, but it's effective. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know what? I wouldn't have told you that. I, would, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have thought I'd say that out loud. Uh, you know, <laughs> I kept, dude, I kept trying to, I was like, you got to drink the Kool-Aid James. Like, this is the way man. Yeah. You know, um, this is, and you, and you, and you were just going, what I had, this is what I had imagined. I had imagined that because this is what we, the conversation we'd had, we'd had this conversation, uh, you know, 30 times yeah. where you were like, I was like, Oh, I got this spot, man. Like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to hike in and we go in this way. And I, I, I go off this and I go climb up this face and I come around here cause then the wind's good. And then I walk along this section and then sometimes I soft bump deer and then I got this trail that cuts right underneath them. And you'd be like, yeah, but, um, is there a tree there that I can hang a stand in? And I was like, yeah, there's a tree you can hang a stand in. And you're like, okay, all right. And I, and so I was, what I was, when I was trying to find places that we could hunt, my job was in scouting was to find a place that I could still hunt and you could hang a tree stand and you would be in your, you'd be in your stand and I'd give you one section and then I would still hunt how I wanted to still hunt. And then we'd meet up at the end of the day. You know, because I wanted you to have a good hunt and I wanted you to have a hunt where you, I wanted you to hunt with confidence and that's where your confidence came from was being in a stand. And I, you know, I wasn't going to stop you. I wasn't going to drag you along and, and have yeah. you have a, a poor hunt where you're like, well, if I'd have brought my stand. Man. And the other thing is, is, you know a lot about stand hunting. I don't know anything and I yeah. want to learn. You know? Well, I realized uh, when we started looking at topos and we started looking at game plans and picking some of your uh, haunts that uh, there's going to be a lot of elevation uh, drops and gains. There are going to be some miles. And uh, you, you know, we already, what, you know, 40 pounds for uh, a three, four night stay in the backcountry. You're not going to, I didn't want to add 25 pounds of tree stand equipment on top of that. Yeah, that's the reality is, is that, well, and it's not even 40 pounds. It's like, 
we're, what we're talking about is we're in an area where it takes, um, you know, a lot of times we're in six miles, yeah. right? Six at times. Miles, yeah. um, and you're picking up and dropping elevation and stuff like that. And side you hill. really, yeah, side hill up and down. And, and where I live, it's hot, you know? And so the problem is, is that the, the thing is, is you have to really have the knowledge that it isn't about getting in there and, you know, carrying all your stuff and all that, but it's about getting out immediately with your meat because yes. we don't have the luxury of many, um, what do they call that? What's the, the current like thermal corridor? Yeah. Right. Isn't there something that yeah. you guys are saying that, you know, we don't have a lot of those. Right. We just have hot. Hot. We have in the sun and hot or there's, in the shade and hot. There's hot, hot, and, and hot, hot. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, man, I'm not into losing me. And, and that's why I'm, that's, I, there's a lot of guilt that I have if I feel like I am, um, putting my own desires and, and goals and, um, you know, ambitions. And the, one of the things that would be sacrificed would be the quality of the meat that I bring home that's just not uh, part of my game plan so for me if, if we're going to bring a tree stand in that tree stand is going to stay there yeah um, if we're going to go into a place we have to be able to get out in a day there are ways to do it like I carry a dry bag in case of emergencies because I will the creeks we, we don't have any snow melt so everything comes um, out of spring and even the creeks and all that, they all come from, you know, water sources. There's no melt here. There's none. We don't live in a high enough range. It's kind of like where you guys are. And the groundwater is the temperature of the ground. And the ground is, you know, 58 to 62 degrees. Yeah. So, I mean, it might be a little bit colder in some areas if it's rocky, but we don't really have a ton of that rockiness. So you're not getting ice cold spring water a lot of places. But if you have to, I'll throw that meat in a, in a dry bag and I will stick it in the creek if that means what it takes. If, yeah. You know, if I have an injury or, or whatever it is, but I, so I try to have a backup plan, but the reality of it is, is that anywhere we go into, you got to have an exit strategy. And like where we were hunting, you and I went hunting, it's one buck. You're going to kill yeah. one buck. And when either of you, when you kill a buck, it is now time to get the meat out. Yeah. And, um, and that is non, it's non-negotiable. It is something that has to happen. And it's not like it's a, nobody... James and I split the meat. I, I killed a buck on this hunt and we split the meat because without him in there, I'm not in there. I'm and, not going into that. And that's the agreement that we make in the beginning when we hunt together. Um, yeah. That, that uh, whatever uh, gets turned up, we'll split it and, and then we'll make the best uh, ability to come back and help to get another one to get it split up. Uh, however, you know, whatever's possible. Yeah, one of the things that I do, if I do hunt an area by myself, because I hunt up by myself a lot, is generally when I go up and hunt these places that, that um, it's a bit more rugged to get in and out of, like a lot of the places that I hunt are four to five miles in, and you know, you're gaining you know, and losing about 2,500 feet in elevation. Um, and where I hunt down low, it's 68 degrees, 62 degrees. And then where I'm parked up high, it's 92. And so I have a big Yeti cooler and I take that Yeti cooler before I go on a hunt and I fill it with block ice. And so I have a refrigerator at my truck. And so if I'm by myself, 
that means, and I get a buck down, that means I'm taking the meat yeah. and I leave, I leave a sleeping bag and a, and a, and a, um, a camp system and food and water in my truck. So all I have to do is get to my truck and get that meat on ice and I can un, undo my bed. I have a bedroll of one of those, uh, canvas cutters. I can sleep at the truck and then I can go back in and get my gear and then come back out. You know, I have a, I have a strategy for yeah. when I do it with myself. You got so that was to. a luxury. Yeah. That was a luxury of, of when you and I were hunting together. Well, I noticed that. So we'll get into the hunt. I noticed uh, you were like, well, we've got this opportunity with both of us. We could really go in there far. We, we, you wanna, yeah. we can go all the way in. You want to go all the way in? And I said, hey, man, I'm here to, here to do, do the thing. So, you know, let's do whatever. I think, I think um, when we talk, you know, we're, we're going to be real gray. Um, about where we were and what we were doing, and you guys aren't going to you guys aren't going to get any details because I really do feel like anything that's online or on podcast or on social media is a scouting tool, and, yeah. and it, whether you're looking or not, you're going to find a scouting tool. And everybody wants to have a have an experience like we just had. I think that's the well, I shouldn't say everybody. That's the goal for me. And if I heard a podcast about somebody and they were talking about this experience that they had and it was what they wanted. Man, I might want to go check that place out. You'd want a piece of that you know? too, huh? Well, I might want to take, well, yeah. I, I tell yeah. you what, maybe for not for myself, but I'll tell you what, dude, if I was looking for a place to take my son, he's four, and I wanted to have him have that experience, I might. Yeah. I might. Right. You know, I mean, I'd have my own level of ethics, but it, when, when it comes to trying to get your son to have a passion or your daughter to have a passion for the outdoors and really have some type of experience that he's going to want to duplicate on his own, Man, I might listen to your podcast and find a spot, and right. I might go in there if you talk about it. But I, I well, we try, really, we try really hard not to uh, to uh, highlight um, hunting areas, um, and some areas are easier than others. I mean, where I hunt, yeah. there's no focal points that you can from photos that you can really key yeah. onto. There's uh, uh, there's no weird shaped trees or mount it's just uh all the same yeah um yeah. but then i go to eastern oregon and everything is a giveaway to to your location yeah. and so yeah you just have to be diligent um on how how you uh maneuver your way through this uh social hunting experience well i think one of the things that i think that it, it does a disservice to the person who is using that information as well because i really feel like the the goal is to be able to find deer right you know i mean that's the goal or or bears or elk or whatever that's the goal the goal is to be able to find those animals and a really good method to be able to find animals is is find a place where they are and then try to find another place where they are based on the information that you have from the original place and I think that's what a lot of what people are doing. If they're wanting to hunt a new unit or a new area, they just want to find where deer are in that area. Maybe not to kill those deer, but to know what it looks like, where they live, what deer prefer. And then they're going to try to duplicate that. But the problem is, is that will really bugger up a place. You know, it, it will really make it a place that maybe there aren't as many deer anymore or any animals. Or maybe guys are just going there to kill stuff. But my, my real belief is that if um, if you find a place on your own, it has a whole nother level of value to it. And I really wanted to, that was one of the things when I started hunting was I didn't want to kill deer in places that people had taken me 
because I, I knew that I needed to do that. But I also knew that if I was going to be any good at this or even feel like I you know, could do this and, and pass this on, I needed to find deer. I yeah. need to find places. And then because I wanted to take, it's like, where am I going to take James hunting? It's the only places that I have are places that people have taken me. I can't, I can't give that away. I can't, right. I can't um, entrust you with someone else's information that they entrusted in me. So for me, I think a real key to it is hunting the places that you can access when you have, we were talking about this the other day. If you have a short day at work or if your wife calls you and goes, Hey, I'm going to pick the girls up. Um, what do you got planned for the afternoon? And you're like, for me, I'm always like, I might, uh, I get my, I always have my pack. Yeah. I have my camera. I have my boots. I have my trekking poles. I, ha- I might have my spotter. I mean, not my spotter. I might have my tripod. I might have my 15, you know, I, I am, uh, I'm ready to go. And I'm like, Ooh, I might take a hike out here. Those are the places that you're going to hunt effectively. Those are the places you're going to learn the most. It's not in Idaho. If you live in California, Yeah. those are the places that you're going to have um, a great experience and hunt somewhere new, but it's the places for me, I'm not a very good hunter, you know, and I'm not a very good scouter. I just like being in the woods and I like being outside with, you know, in those places. And I'm in there all winter and all spring and all summer and all, you know, I'm, I, I go, I go into those places less in, in deer season because I feel like it may affect the ability for me to hunt it or for somebody else to hunt it. But man, I'm in there in the winter and I'm in there in the spring and, you know, all those times. And, and we have the luxury of being able to be there in the rut because you're not affecting anybody. And I think if people can, can say the best, you know, your best hunting place is the place that you can get to, you know, within an hour's notice and, and be home. Like if your total trip can take four or five hours from the time you find out, so you get your gear together to all that stuff, man, that's the place that you really got to be. And if it's within an hour, if you can be, if you can be leaving your truck within an hour of the time you get the word where you got an hour or two, that's the spot where you're going to learn the most about deer. And that's kind of what I, that's what I believe. Sure. And I happen to, I found some of those places near me. Now, if you live in the desert, like the dirt desert, um, and, and not, and you don't live in like the Phoenix desert because the Phoenix desert has, that has deer too. I think that is, I think that if you're trying to learn about deer, you should be hunting where you're, where you're close. You shouldn't be chasing all these places that people are telling you that there's deer because that's not doing you any good. You got to chase the next one, man. So I, I, we were, I was really nervous about having this podcast because I don't want to, I was was on my way driving this morning. I was trying to think of a way to express this. And I said, it's like, it's almost like I'm taking James to my friend's grandma's house. And, and I want to be on my best behavior and I want James to be on his best behavior. And, I, and it's not my grandma. I don't have any leeway. And I want you to get the experience. But I don't want to ruin it. And I want you to know the level of respect that I have for the place. And I don't want to bum anybody out. I don't want anybody to be upset that, you know, you're ruining a spot or you're making it bad, you know, but at the same time, man, I love, I love talking to people about hunting. I love getting people involved in hunting. Um, 
And I think that I don't care about killing. I want them to, to get that same experience that I get when I'm outside. I mean, it, it, I get, I get caged up, man. I tell, I just tell my wife, I go, I got to go in the woods. Me too. <laughs> you know? Me too. Dude, my wife sometimes will look at me and say, I think you need to go into the woods. <laughs> yeah, I do. I, uh, when I was talking about my childhood being really rough, there was a period of time where I was, you know, when I, from the time I was seven to the end of, so second grade, the end of second grade, summer after second grade, my, my parents just kind of, they split and they went their own ways. And I was alone a lot. I mean, I spent a lot of nights alone at our house. Um, and we lived in this old logging cabin in the middle of, you know, old timber country. And there was a river, um, you know, not too far away. I'd get up in the morning and I'd go get a, if it was, if it was a time of year when there was fish in the creeks, I'd grab a handful of worms from our little worm farm that we had. And I'd get a, you know, 20 feet of fishing line and wrap it around a stick and I'd grab some hooks and I'd go down the creek all day. And if it wasn't that time of year, I would, um, just walk out the back door and I'd, I might walk down the road or might whatever caught my attention. I'd go in that direction. I had an old lab, a black lab mix, like a, a mutt, you know, and we would go on adventures and I might be, I'd be eating huckleberries and, and, uh, clovers or sorrel for lunch. And if I was fishing, I'd be bringing home some fish to fry up in a pan at home. And I was raised, you know, I had so much anger and so much, you know, frustration and sadness and, you know, um, disappointment in my life in terms of how I viewed it and the place that, that I was during those periods of time was in the woods that for me now, when I have any of that stuff happening, that's where I want to be. I, w- I just want to be out there. Um, it, I, it clears me, you know, it, it helps me a lot. So, and I think that if I can, if I can help anybody find that, um, you know, that kind of feeling that I get from it, I, I'm totally willing to do it. And, you know, and I, but I think, like, like I said, I, I do think that if you... It is fun to share that too. Like I've taken guys that have never been out there before, you know, and you take them out, you know, just scouting and you get them close to some elk and they're like, it's life-changing for these guys. Yeah. Yeah, it can be. Yeah. And, and then the other, other times it's like you get somebody out somewhere didn't even have to do anything with animals and they're like whoa you know i you know i'm always telling people i'm like i'll find a place and it'll hold no deer <laughs> and so people ask me and i'll go you know it'll be people that are looking to backpack or their hike and i go hey you know where you should go you should go up here you know and i'll send them out there and then i'll talk to them a little bit later on they're like dude that place is incredible and i'll go yeah they're like how'd you find that i go well i was looking for deer there's no deer there but it's a really cool spot you know I'm like, make sure you bring water, you know, or park here or do this or do that. I, man, if, you know, like a lot of what you guys do, um, which is bring awareness to, you know, to, to hunting and opportunity and to the outdoors and similar things like BHA, uh, does, you know, and, um, there's a lot of organizations that are really trying to help us, um, preserve and increase our ability to access, um, you know, public land. And, and get those experiences like, man, you live in Oregon. What'd you say? How many people live in, in the state of Oregon? And then, you know, how many of them live in one, per, one small area of Oregon? It's, uh, we have four or roughly 4 million people and 3 million of them are up in the city. Yeah. So how many allies do you have when you're talking about preserving whatever your 
desired um, activity is out there. It could be four wheelers. Oh, oh, it doesn't it matter. Be, the city makes all the calls on. I know. You know, uh, no, no bear baiting, no hound hunting. If they yeah. anything they don't like, even if it has zero effect on their world that they live in. It's it's the majority rules, and so we just we live by their rules. Yeah, that's hard. Yeah, it's you tough. know I, I live in I live in California. So yeah, forty forty million people. Yeah, you know why uh, everybody always complains about California about why um, you know we can't have mountain lions. Mountain lions are a protected species in California. Yeah, that's insane. And the protected species means that it doesn't have anything to do with their population or their density or anything like that. It just means that the Ronald Reagan was actually the first person that I think I'm pretty sure you can look this up. He passed, um, he was the governor of California at the time, and he either signed into order, which then later got passed, you know, in election, but he was the first one to give protection to mountain lions. And it had a lot to do with Hollywood, with, because in the Hollywood Hills, there's a lot of mountain lions. Yeah. And, and these people, and, and Reagan was an actor, and so he had a lot of friends in Hollywood, and they were like, dude, these mountain lions are getting driven to extinction. Like, we got to protect these things. And so he just, put into order this protection. And that's a lot of how, um, you know, these sort of things happen is, uh, is, is public opinion. I mean, we live in a popular, we live in a popularity contest Yeah, and it's not, it's not real popular to bait bears and to kill bears over bait or to, or to treat them with hounds. If you just show that happening, but if you can understand it and you can understand what it does or, you the know, bio, the and, biology behind it, the work it takes that, yeah. Yeah. Then, then you can look at it with a, with a well-mounted, but man, it, it's a sound bite and that's really what we're facing. So, yeah. you know, make a short story long. I like talking about hunting. I like sharing the places that I go. I like talking about hiking. I like sharing those things. And I really, I struggle with that. I struggle with the, with my desire to to inform people and to help people get some of the experiences that I get that, that, that help me in my life and to not ruin places and to not ruin and give away other people's places. So that's tough. You know, that, I think that's one of the, the largest things that I face is, is, uh, you know, managing that. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's get into the hunt. Okay. So, um, James showed up. And we bought a house, so we are painting and stripping paint. And I see James roll up, and he's like ready to go. He's he's all good to go. And I am on my hands and knees with a putty knife, and I'm scraping tape from the flooring and paint. And he's like, "Okay." <laughs> I told him, "I go, look, man, this is what I think we're gonna do. I think we're gonna." Well, I just came out of this. I just bought a house, and I I just yeah. moved in and got done doing what you're doing now. So I, I yep. get it. Yeah, and I told him, I said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go home, we're going to eat a good dinner, and then we're going to pack in tomorrow. And we're going to hunt a few days. And my wife's like, well, how many days are you going to hunt? And I go, well, we're probably going to hunt four. And she's like, four? Are you kidding me? Like, we got to paint this. You, yeah. know? you guys got a she's deadline. A realist. Yeah. She said, I don't understand how you think you can afford to take four days to go hunting. And I said, well, I don't really know. I'm I'm not really smart that way. <laughs> so... Mind you, we did set this up with them, the, with the wives a month yeah. ago, and then they both yeah. acted like they didn't know it was coming when it happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that 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 was a, a similarity. So, anyways, we uh, we kind of try to move the story along fairly quick. We 
went home. We ate a good meal. We kind of came up with a plan of where we're going to go. And I, I, you know, had expressed James that I had this idea of, a, of an area that I wanted to go in because I, I think it is an experience if you're going to come and hunt or around where I live that you should go into an area that's really tough and hard on you. Because I think a lot of where I hunt is, it's not so much just the experience and the beauty of the place, but it's the struggle. So we kind of came up with this plan. We got up super early in the morning. We got all our gear all ready the night before. We did, you know, made all our adjustments, jumped in the rig, took off early. Um, and we started seeing deer right out of the gate. You know, there's deer in the yard and there's deer on the side of the road and there's nice big bucks on the side of the road. And then we get, um, you know, close to where we're going and, uh, you know, we don't, we're not seeing any more deer in the location that I had planned for us to hunt in. Um, there was, there was vehicles there. I've never seen vehicles there and, and it's not a great hunting spot really, you know, to be honest, I never, I've never killed anything there. I've, I've been close to one deer there and I've seen deer there a few other times, but it's a spot that I want to develop because nobody hunts there. So I'm like, well, huh. I don't think it's going to be very good if there's somebody in there. You know, we went to a different spot and, and I said, we're making, we're calling an audible. This is where we're going to hunt. So he goes, all right. So we loaded all our stuff and we, um, you know, took off and worked our way in and we stopped and, um, you know, tried to cover country effectively. We try not to push through, you know, areas that may hold deer and we tried to, um, you know, kind of take it all in and we ended up, dropping quite a bit of elevation and um, deciding that the best thing to do was to camp um, and then maybe get in some hunting in the evening. Um, we did that and James, man, James had some really good experiences. I had no, no experiences with bucks, none. <laughs> um, First night. And my, yeah. yeah, my confidence level was, not very high i just i felt like it was going to be a necessary if james was going to you know build a relationship with the place that i hunt here this is required reading this this going into these places and getting your butt kicked and 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 not having any luck with deer is part of the it, it builds the value when you actually do so we get in there and i was kind of expecting that and then we get back to camp uh that night and he's like don't tell me anything i'm going to turn the podcast on yeah, because we so split. Gotta, we split. We went separate ways in the evening. Yeah, yeah, not on purpose. <laughs> we ended up just going separate ways. Yeah. So, um, we we uh, he gets a, we get we brought out a, a recorder, and so we start this. We start kind of going through our evening and what we did. And James was like, "Dude, and this happened, and I was slipping into the timber, and I saw this poison oak patch, and I got in there, and I sit down, and he's like, dude, I mean, I my mind was blown when he's like, there was a four by four a big velvet buck and four by four and I was 25 yards from it. I was like, what? <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? And I'm immediately, I'm thinking, well, dude, I did the wrong thing. Like he's in the, in the money spot. And, he, and then I tried to J hook it and I moved around here and I, da, 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 da. And he's like, and then I got in on a, he's like, I was 12 yards from a, a crab, a crab three, three point. And I, and when we were going in, I told him, I go, dude, there are just not that many deer here. And there are not any four points in here. And I was like, I go, well, that's where we should go. You know, we yeah. should just go over there. And I go, well, in the morning, let's go to this place that I had planned on us being. And we'll, and we'll just, we'll move through this area and we'll see what happens. And the quick side note to that is 
we made dinner and we were going to go out and uh, come up with a plan. And Joaquin left yeah. camp five minutes before me. And when I walked out, I thought he went right, but he went left. And I, uh-huh. I ended up uh, going in a different direction that night. Yeah, it was great. I yeah. spotted, I had actually saw James a little ways away and I was like, oh, he's over there. I'm like, oh, he's right in the spot. Okay. All right, cool. So the next morning we get up super early and we need water. So we're going to have to drop and get water at some point. Um, and we, this time we leave camp together and right away we, I see a buck and I'm like, oh, there's a buck, you know? And so we kind of came up with this game plan, um, how we're going to do what we're going to do and the wind's terrible and we wait and we wait and we wait and then we james ends up making a move on this buck and it's and, not uh, spot and stock it's spot and still hunting explain that yeah spot and still hunt like if you like you may see a buck you know leaving an area where an you island can or, yeah see yeah you can see far enough and you're like ooh, that buck left and he went through here okay and so what's over there and then you pull out your map and you're looking, and you're like, what's well, a ravine? And it looks like this, and it looks like there's poison oak over there. And I don't know what it looks yeah. like. So sneak over there and then creep in and see what you can see. Yeah. And so James sneaks over and he, he's creeping in. And then um, I see the deer like, like leave. And I'm like, I give him the big X and I'm like, oh, it's done, you know. And he's like, well, come on. I, he gives me this signal of like, well, come on over here. You know, and I'm like, I'm looking, I'm glassing pretty hard trying to see. I'm like 500 feet elevation below you and probably six, 700 yards across the canyon. Yeah. And there's like this little pocket where I can see him and I'm like, yeah. yeah, And I look on this other little face and I'm like, I see a buck bedded. And I'm like, Ooh, and I can't tell if the deer, I know it can't see him, but I know it could see me because I'm going to have to pass through an opening to get to it. And so I'm like, I don't want to go to him. And I'm like, is there water anywhere else? You know? And he's like, he's, he's giving me this hands to Jesus. Sign. There was a like creek. There was a creek yeah. in there. Yeah. In this little cut, there was a hidden, there was like a spring coming out in yeah. this little spot. And, um, he's giving me this hands to Jesus. And I think he's like, I'm trying to discern what he's doing, but I was thinking he's maybe praying. <laughs> is he shoot a buck? Is he praying? Did something happen when I couldn't see him? But then I realized I'm like, Oh, he's seeing water. So I pull my water bottle out and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah there's water over here. And I'm like, Oh, well, there's a, I'm thinking, well, there's a deer over there that you don't know about. And I don't want to blow it out. I finally realized after doing a little bit of scouting, I realized that's the place where we're going to have to get water. And yeah. so I go to him, I walk in plain sight of this deer. It sees me and it doesn't really move. And it just is in a really good, safe place. And then we're, I get to him and I tell him what's happened and what I've seen. And that there's a deer here and we come up with the plan. And I tell him, I go, well, I want you to slip down this little, go into this timber and flip down this little ridge and then come around in the bottom where you're actually going to be able to get to water. Cause it, where there was water, it was just vertical yes. bluff edge. Yeah. yeah. And, and so we couldn't really go down and get water where we wanted to. You could hear it, but you couldn't go get it. So, and I go and I'll slip around and I'll try to skirt the edge and maybe I'll be able to soft bump something down to you. So we split up and he goes down, drops some elevation and gets down to where he's going to be able to get water. And I, after reassessing it, after I see him leave, I start realizing there's no way that um, this is going to work. I'm just basically going to be walking, you know, 30 yards off of his boot tracks and I'm not going to push anything. So I decide I'm going to make a climb. The wind's coming down and I'm going to climb some elevation and go around the top of this ravine and maybe soft bump some deer down to him. If I stay far enough away and I'm quiet enough, they'll just get a little bit of my wind and maybe they'll push down into the straw where he's now getting water. 
So that's what I do. I, he doesn't know, but I leave and I climb up and I go around and I slip through this poison oak and I. And meanwhile, uh, meanwhile, I get to the point to get water, and I there's just this little, literally like a V in the brush where I can see up the hillside, and I go, "Oh my God, there's a bedded buck up there." That's the buck he's. That's the one about. he's talking about. There he is. I can see him, and and I'm he's about 200 yards out, and so I'm like, okay, forget water. I kind of have a yard sale going on in the creek with my stuff everywhere. <laughs> like I'm gonna eat some breakfast. I'm gonna get some water. I'm gonna do all this stuff, and then all of a sudden I see the buck, and I leave the yard sale. I leave all my stuff behind, and I start just slowly because I kind of feel like there could be more deer around. And so I stay off the edge, and I'm working my way, getting climbing elevation. And as I'm climbing elevation, I keep glassing that buck, and that buck stays still right there. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, I see you. You come. Yeah, because what, yeah. what had happened was I, I go through this timber and this poison oak patch. You know, I'm above the ravine now. I'm, I'm going around on the other side of it. And when I get up into this timber, I realize that there's a terrain break. There's almost a little spine of ridge where... This buck is on a, on a face in a poison oak patch, yep. and he's bedded. Now, above him, you know, two or 300 yards through the timber, there's actually this micro-terrain change where there's almost a miniature ridge, and there's really kind of this hanging basin up there. And what happens is when I get up there, I realize that the wind is now not going downhill towards the buck. It's actually moving a little bit more to the south. So what I do is I slip over the edge away from him, and I go where basically I was going to have to like walk right above him and the wind was going to go right to him at some point. Well, I was able to get my wind to go the other way. And so I sneak down and I J hook around and I get to where I'm and I drop my elevation. I get to where I'm trying. I have an intersecting path where when he gets my wind, I would have to walk past him 30 yards for him to get my wind. So I start making my way back around through and I'm getting in the zone and I'm starting, I'm like, okay, I got to be fairly close. And I don't know where James is at at this point. But I know that there's three, two, I know that there was at least three bucks in this area. And I'm thinking, okay, they're probably winding me now. I'm starting to win stuff and they're going to start pushing into this draw. So I'm moving along, moving along. And did you see the, did you see the bedded buck right away when you, when no, you came over I, the top? No, no. I so, didn't see him at all. So I didn't I, see him I, at I, all. And you, you were actually like really close to him initially, like right out the gate. I'm like. Um, at well, least from my from my perspective, I'm like, oh god, he's 25 yards. Oh, oh, this is gonna work. I'm getting so excited. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna watch Joaquin shoot this buck. This is oh, this is gonna be so good. I'm like really well, like pumped up. And then you're getting kind of away from him, and so I'm kind of looking at the buck. You're I don't have you both in the view, so I'm like, look at the buck. I'm looking at you. I'm looking at the buck. I'm looking at you. And then I'm thinking to myself. He's not going to pass on this buck. If he passes on this buck, I'm going to be mad at him. This is a, uh, it, 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 this better not have anything to do with me. Or I mean, that's a nice big forking horn. He better shoot this buck. So I'm kind of I'm I'm not hunting anymore. I'm kind of enjoying the show. Yeah. So and I, you know, honestly, I didn't think I was going to be in this position. I hadn't analyzed and picked out terrain features that was going to allow me to know where the deer was. So I was kind of going in an estimated guess of where I thought the deer was. It was this, he's in like this poison oak thicket, you know, surrounded by timber on, uh, you know, on the 
the one side of him. There's a ravine below him. There's a ridge and timber above him. You know, it's like the t- the poison oaks three to four feet tall, and he's bedded, so I can't see him from the top. James right. can see him from the front because he's on a steep face. Steep, steep face. I'm right yeah, below him. So, so I'm slipping along, and I'm thinking I'm getting close. So I slow way down, and I'm sneaking up to this pepperwood tree, and I flush two quail, and they're. And I'm like, oh. And so I freeze. And I'm looking around and nothing happened. And I'm like, huh. Now the deer's probably gone. But I'm still going slow. And I'm like, there's a couple more deer in here, you know. So I take a few more steps. And I'm just about to clear the backside of this pepperwood tree. And as I clear, two more quail take off. And then I look to my left and this buck stands up and he turns and he looks at me. And he's probably 25, maybe 20 yards. And I can see like the top of his back and his head. And he's looking at me like, what are you doing up there? You know, like how, like, how did you get there? You know, that, that look. And then I just, I see him and I try not to act real creepy. And I just, I see him like he wants to walk. I lose sight of him because I actually keep moving and he starts to walk. I can kind of hear him walk and I figure he's going to try to side hill and um, get away from me. And so I continue to side hill because I'm thinking, I just want to stay above him. I'm 25 yards directly above him right now. And I want to stay above him because, and I'm going to keep pushing in the direction that I'm going to push towards this ravine because I'm really hoping that he's going to turn and want to go downhill. And that's where James is. Right. right. And I, I think at this point, happen. I'm starting to realize that if this doesn't work out for him, this buck might just come right to me. <laughs> That was my plan. Yeah. So I continue going side hill, and I hear, you know. And I decide to cut my 600 yards to 300 in case. I'm like, I don't want to screw this up for him, but if I get off here and move up there, I'll probably be where this buck will hang up at if he were to run to me. Yeah. And so I keep moving side hill, and at one point I hear there's like a a grove, and it's all firs, and then I hear there's this grove of pepperwoods, which is bay. Bay or pepperwood, bay laurel, pepperwood. Is, is um, that and it's similar to myrtle. I mean, it's got to be a cousin. I don't know. I don't know. It's what they use in spaghetti sauce. Yeah, you, know, you put a bay yeah, leaf yeah. in your spaghetti sauce. Yeah. So, um, I move inside hill and I get into this pepperwood or I get almost to the pepperwoods and I hear. I don't hear the bounding. I hear what sounds like a deer like trotting through the leaves, and I can't tell if he's moving, you know, horizontally along the hillside or if. What I think happens is I think that he gets slightly ahead of me because he's moving faster than me, and he goes uphill. Because a lot of times these bucks will like the elevation is their friend, and they'll just go straight up. So I'm like, ooh, I think he might have got ahead of me, but I don't want to run. So I don't want to, you know. So I keep moving slowly, not too slow, but as slow as I can. Um, side hill, and I just and I at don't this see point him, I, don't... I lose you guys both. I don't have you guys yeah. are in the brush now. It's yeah. I'm just sitting. Yeah, and so I move side hill, move side hill, and I run out of side hill. I, I, I go forward until I get to these, there's these, like, these grove of big firs past the pepperwoods, and then it's like a 15-foot vertical drop, and there's, and I'm like, well, he didn't go through here, and I'm thinking, I'm like, well, he probably went up, right? And then uh, I look, um, I look up, I don't see where he went, I'm like, oh, okay, and I, I kind of look down and to the left, and I see brick red. And I see like, I'm like, oh, like there's a deer, right? And I think it's him. And he's like quartering away, I would say, 
and I can't quite see him too much where I'm at. Um, I can see his color. I can't see his head. I'm like, oh, there's a deer right there. And then I, then as I like stop panicking, I realize that there's this deer and he's bedded. I'm like, oh, he's bedded, you know? And he's, and I'm like thinking, well, that's really weird because a deer just went through here. And so he must not have gone downhill because this deer's steep downhill from me, you know? And, uh, I'm like, that deer must have gone uphill. I'm like, oh. so I take a couple steps forward to get to where I can actually see him. And I see him and I see that it's a buck and I see this bedded and I look at it and I'm like, Oh, I can make that shot, you know? And so then I just kind of go into like, you know, kill mode. And so I, I line up, I shoot instinctive. Um, I have range finding binoculars, but I, I just, I just look and kind of, you know, look where I'm going to shoot. I do line the bow up, I guess the arrow shaft, like left to right. Sure. Kind of use that yeah. tactic yeah. to hold it in front of me, line the arrow up left to right, grab the string, you know, pull, and uh, then I settle and I, and I try to, you know, pick a really, you know, small spot or whatever and, and release. Um, and I shoot with a tap, tap, hair tap. Um, and so I do all this stuff and I line up and I, I'm like, okay, you know, make it count. And I let this, I let this arrow go and it sails right over his back. And he's on a spine. It's kind of hard to explain, but it's if you could imagine like the most, like uh the best rugged high country mule deer bedding area that you could ever pick there's like this little draw that i came to the edge of like i said it's like a 15 foot drop then it goes it drops straight down 15 feet and then it goes straight back up and there's a little spine ridge where it hasn't eroded and it's maybe five or six feet wide and it kind of snakes down and then on the other side of that there's a uh more eroded stuff so it drops another 15 or 20 feet on the other side of him so it's literally a spine ridge and on that spine ridge are these spurs every 20 or 30 feet so he's under these under this bedded timber he's bedded he's bedded he's bedded he's bedded in the type of bed where his ass is hanging over the back of it and his his head is hanging over the front of it i mean he's just it's there's nothing there so i send this arrow at him it flies right over him misses him by maybe like three inches and he doesn't move and I'm like, what? And I'm like, oh man, this is like silent, silent track though. Oh, oh, you know? And I'm like, okay, I got to make it count, you know? So then I, I pick another arrow and I get myself and I kind of reset my feet and I'm like, all right, you know, I line it up and I draw back. And, and now mind you, this shot sequence is a blur to me. I can't really remember the specific details. And I was thinking about this last night when I was laying in bed, I was like, how did this actually happen? I don't remember how, which arrow I hit him with, which one I missed with, the whole deal. But I know the first shot missed. And I kind of think the second shot might have missed. So I draw back and I make my adjustment. And I think, oh, well, I shot left. I, I thought, okay, I shot, I shot high. What I thought was I had shot high left. So I make my adjustment and I end up shooting low Right. right. And, I'm, and I'm pretty sure I stuck an arrow right behind him in the ground and he didn't move. And I was like, what? I mean, I mean like right behind him. Yeah. And I'm like, and it, and it, and then, and he's better. Like, yeah. And he's better. And I'm starting to like panic a little bit. I'm like, what is happening? Like I'm double, I'm double checking. I'm like, oh, is this buck still really there? I'm like, okay. So then, so then I, so I put it up, I get another arrow on the string and I, and I take a breath. When I draw back and I, you know, till, it's so steep and I tilt down. It's and downhill I, shot, right? 
down, steep downhill, steep, steep downhill. Yeah. And I let this arrow go and I hit him and I hit him, um, you know, back. I hit him like in the, he's, he's at, it's at such a weird angle that I hit him in the hind quarter, but like almost like between where the, and the way the arrow goes in, it, it goes in and I, and it catches liver <clears throat> and hits him and he doesn't move. And I hear it hit him and I see it hit him and he doesn't move like really trying to understand what's happening in front of me. And, and, but I'm also in the mode of like, I hit him. I know I hit him now. And I didn't hit him where I wanted to hit him. And I got to get another arrow. In, right. So I draw back and I pick a spot and I, I, you know, now I'm like, get an arrow in him, get an arrow in him. And I shoot him again <clears throat> and I hit him back again and I hit him like a, Closer to the spine, I would say, because mm-hmm. like like what I'm yep. seeing is mostly yep. at the top of them. <clears throat> and he stands up at this point. He doesn't look over his shoulder. None of these times has he looked backwards. None of these times has his head moved anywhere except for straight forward, looking dead away from me. He stands up, and when he stands up, his um, you know when a buck's like liver shot, they're their back end is a little lower at times. Yeah. Or if you hit a buck, like have you ever hit a buck in the femoral artery no. and their back end seems to be low? Like it's really like they're, it's, I don't know. It's they're like their back end stays a little lower. Well, this buck stands up and when he stands up, I can see a pool of blood that was underneath him. And I'm looking at him and I get my binoculars out and I, and I'm trying to figure out if I, what I'm seeing is what I'm seeing. And it, cause it looks like there's a pencil size, stream of blood pouring out of him and i get my binoculars out and i look and like sure enough that's what's happening there's a pool of blood it's a big pool of blood yeah and there's a pencil sized stream of blood that's pouring out of him and i'm and it's building a pile of foam in his bed like building a pile of foam that's now it's three to four inches tall from the blood falling into the pool and making its own bubbles it's not lung blood and it's and i'm watching this whole thing and i'm thinking this deer is going to die right here. Like I must have clipped the femoral artery or maybe that's liver blood or something, but he's bleeding out really, really strong. And I'm like, he's going to die right here. Okay. Well, now I'm in this really tough situation where I'm like, I should let him bed down and die in front of me. But at the same time, I should put another arrow on him because you shoot until they're dead. It's a really tough thing. It's like if I had only had those two arrows in him and he had left, and I didn't have him in my sight, I would have left him alone so, seeing the blood that I had seen. Do you have that he was gonna Do you have any arrows? I, one, I think I have two more. Okay, so I sh- yeah, so what it ended up with is I had one arrow left, I think is what it was. No, I think you still and, have two, right? You have a blunt and a broadhead at this point. <laughs> yeah, I have a blunt. So at this point, this is that's funny. So I decide I'm like, hit him again. And and then now he's in a little bit tougher spot because when he stands up, he kind of tucks himself into this limb that he was over. So I can't really see his head anymore. And it's, and he, and he has shifted his angle a little bit and it's a, a really a, a tougher shot. So I, I put an arrow on his string and I'm like, and now I'm, I'm trying to calm myself down and I'm like, okay, so I draw back and I realize, Oh, well that's my blunt. <laughs> I, I let down and I like put my blunt back in my quiver and I grab my other arrow and he's still standing there. He hasn't looked left or right. He's just standing there bleeding. He's still bleeding. And I'm like thinking, I'm like, should I put an arrow in him? I should save one in case I need another one. And I'm like, okay. 
I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to shoot him. I'm going to shoot him again. So I draw back and I just, I don't know what I did. I, 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 I shot right between his, I shot right to the left of him. And, uh, I probably, you know, my arrow was probably right next to the other one that I, that I had missed him with first, the second one. And I just totally missed him. Didn't hit him. And he stands there. He still doesn't move. And that's the part that's freaking me out, I think. I think that's what rattled me the most, is that I've shot five arrows at this deer now, and he has not moved except to stand up, and he's bleeding. And then he beds back down. Because now I don't have any other arrows. Now it's over. Now I don't have any more guilt, because there's nothing more I can do. And all my arrows are right next to him. And uh, he beds back down. And I'm like, oh, my God, he's going to die right here. You know, this is the best of both worlds. And he's there for a second, you know, maybe like, it seemed like it was a second or two and he looks to his left and he sees my arrow shaft, the fletching sticking out of the ground and it's about head height. And I see him kind of look at this thing kind of inquisitively. And then he leans over and he smells it. And when he smells the fletching on my arrow, he jumps up out of his bed. He catches, you know, he, he smells me on my arrow shaft. He jumps up out of his bed and he starts looking left and right. He never looks back over his shoulder and he takes one step and he go and he steps off this, razor ridge away from me and I can't see him I can see one arrow shaft sticking up I can see a little bit of fletching kind of sticking up where he where I could tell and then he he moves around the corner and I'm like okay now he's out of his bed now he's on the move all my arrows are directly in my line of sight I can see him there's a few arrows down there and I'm thinking I have to go down to his bed and I have to get my arrows back and I have to chase this deer <laughs> and so I have to, I got to bail off this little cliff. So I bail off this little cliff and I land in the bottom of this creek. It's not really a creek. It's just a, dr a drainage and there's ferns and stuff. And I crawl down this thing and then I have to climb the face of this, this little bluff edge and I climb up and I grab some roots and I get up into his bed. Now I'm standing in his bed and I'm, and I'm like, I, I can see where he goes. He drops into this really steep gully and he goes across this um, scree field and he, and I see him like through the, Mind you, I'm, I'm under a fir tree, so through the limbs, I can see a little bit of his body moving as he moves. And I see him go over, stand next to this other bed at the base of this cliff, and I'm like, oh, he's going to bed down over there. And I'm gathering my arrows, and I put my arrows, I've got, I think I get three arrows back, and I put them in my quiver. And then he doesn't bed, he goes downhill, and there's another little razor ridge. He goes around that razor ridge and goes up into this, up into this other little slot. And I'm just, standing there just kind of waiting just to see what happens. I don't have a shot. I can't shoot through these trees. I don't have sight of him now. And I hear some rocks. And I, and I realize he's trying to climb out of this thing. But it's like 30 or 40 foot vertical, you know, edges. And then I go, oh, okay, I got to go after him. So I got to push him now. I remember saying to myself, like, I got to push him. He has arrows in him. I have to push him and keep those things cutting because I shoot those um, uh, Valkyries, you know. And so I'm, and I'm thinking, you know, fixed blade, if I, if I push him, he's going to keep cutting himself and it's, and, it, and then he's going to die sooner. So I have to jump off this other edge and work my way around where this little trail that he went down and then I have to jump into this scree slope. And then I come, I'm coming downhill, like sliding down a scree slope. It's really steep. And he comes out of the little slot that he's in. He walks right in front of me at like 10 yards, goes downhill and he tucks up into this little draw that goes basically 30 feet vertically underneath where his bed was. And I'm like, I don't, I can't shoot him as he walks by me. And then he just disappears in this, around this boulder face. And I'm like, okay. 
So I stop myself and I get my, I get it together and I, and I creep down to the edge and I peek. I have a, I have a arrow. I put an arrow on and I peek around and I see him standing there and he's five yards away from me, standing in the bottom of this ravine and there's really nowhere for him to go. He's just standing there. He's just dying. And there's brush in the way. I can't really, I can't really shoot him from where I'm at. So then I have to lean out of his side. Okay, I'm going to shoot him again. And he's broadside. And I lean out and I pick a spot and I hit him. He's quartering away from me now, um, almost facing uphill because he's, he's below me, but he's in a little draw kind of like with his feet uphill. And I hit him and I catch, I know I catch the backside lung. Um, and he stands there, takes the shot, just stands there. And I stand there and I tuck back around the hole, the bat on the hillside and I, I'm kind of like watching his antlers and then he beds down, beds down in this draw and James is like, and so yeah, at this point I hear this commotion and I'm slowly, slowly, cause I don't know what's happening. So I'm, I'm literally still hunting my way up this draw. And every time I kick a rock, I wait a little bit. I'm like, oh, I don't want to screw anything up. I, I don't know if a deer is going to come down. To me. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if uh, what's happening. So I'm just easing my way up to you. And I, I remember I'm in this landslide scree thing and I'm <laughs> holding on for dear life because I'm close. I can hear it all happening. And finally, I go, yo. Yo. And I go, I go, I go, dude, I go, there's, I got a buck down. And James is like, yeah. And I go, but he's not dead. I'm like, just stay where you're at. He starts crawling through. Yeah, it's like you're crawling. Well, I don't say you're nothing. Yeah, I'm crawling. Yeah. I'm, I'm literally going up a face using my hands to get up it. And there's downed yeah. brush and yeah. timber. And, and I'm yeah. pushing my way through. So he says, you know, he says that. And I stop. And I'm like, <laughs> I know what that means. I'm like, okay, I can't move. I can't talk. I'm not going to respond to any of this. I'm just going to listen. And I yeah. start looking through the brush. And I'm literally 10 yards away, but I can't see nothing. And I, yeah. I grab my binos and I look through the brush and I see arrows <laughs> and I see a bit of a buck and I see Joaquin with his bow ready to shoot again. And I'm like, oh my God, if he shoots again, the buck has one choice, run Joaquin over or run me over. And if he runs mm -hmm. me over, I'm going to fall off a cliff. Yeah. So I said, I have to come up. And I said, okay. I said, but go to your left. Yeah. So I cut so James. Goes yeah. to his left and he comes right up to where I am. And I'm like, there he is. He's right there, dude. And James looks over and he's like, what? Oh, I just remember your face. Your eyes were so big and you were looking at him. You're like, dude, you're like, you got to shoot him again. Goes, you got to shoot him again. Yeah. And I'm like, and he I'm had like, one lung like, still. Yeah. And I go, he's dying. I'm like, he's dying, dude. He's bleeding out from the back and the front. And I just, I'm like, I just, I just want to let him die. And James is like, all right. You know, and so he stands there for a second and I'm like, ugh. I shake my head well, a few I, times. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and now I'm not like on my own. And, and so I kind of opened myself up a little bit more to suggestion, you know, and, uh, James was like, dude, I really think that you I, I pulled an arrow out of my quiver cause I thought you were out and I went to hand it to you and you said, I've got one. And I said, I got one. I've yeah. Been you said, I, I got, got one. And then I saw I, that and I said, I, well I, then dude, will you please shoot him again? Yeah. And I said, all right. And so I shoot him again. I lean forward. He's bedded now. He's, he's just, he's nodding. You know what I mean? He's just, he's not very far away from it. And so, but you know, I'm the same way. I don't like seeing anything suffer. No. And as savage as all the sounds, all this happened in like three, three minutes, four yeah. minutes. You would say how long, and, how long did that whole thing scenario take place? 
I think it was longer than that. 10 minutes. And so they, yeah. I think it was within. So when you know, when you shoot a buck and you say, give it a half an hour. Yeah. I think that that's exactly, I think if, if I had shot that buck and I had, had, he had not gone over that edge and he had laid down there, he would have died within a half an hour. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. I, and this whole scenario probably took from the time that I first shot him until he was dead, dead. It was less than 15 minutes. Yeah. That's what I figured. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm standing there and, and I go, all right, James, I go, well, you know, and I, so I lean, I have to lean over and I put another arrow in him and this one's because he's bedded now. So it's through both lungs and he, he, his back bucks, you know, and then he, he takes it and then he, he dies. He flips over backwards. He does kind of wheelies over backwards because it's so steep, loses his footing, falls over backwards and dies and uh we're like what just happened yeah Ugh. and james is like dude i gotta go all the way back down to the bottom and get my backpack because he's gonna have his backpack on him yeah and At the very bottom I'm like okay and he's like we gotta get some pictures here dude he's like this is insane like the whole thing the whole thing yeah. was crazy and i can't really give out you know details of why we wanted to get pictures but it was a it was a really significant super cool Area. You know, like topography feature yeah. that we and, like, you can't see it. I'll tell you this: you can't see it from Google Earth. Yeah, but if if you got if you found it, you'd be like, "Wow, this is awesome!" Yeah. So we're like, well, "Let's get some pictures." So we get some pictures of the buck, and oh, and he is a beautiful buck, by the way, folks. Yeah, he's a really nice um, basket rack, four by four, hard horn with eye guards. With eye guards, his his tarsal glands were flared out. I know it's hard to believe. But was it August first? Yeah, August first or second. And yeah. when I came down through the bottom of the drainage, the first thing I remember was that I smelled the rut. I was like, "Yeah, uh, is there elk around here? Um, is there cattle? Like, why does it smell like the rut down here?" Mm-hmm. And then I remember it seeing willows with a bunch of rubs on them, and I was like, "Yep, huh? That is really yeah. weird." And then after you killed your buck, and I came back to get my backpack, I, I hiked all the way back down there, and um, I once again was smelling the rut again. I, I remember I got my phone out and I did a little selfie. I was like, "Man, it yep. is ruddy down here." Well, it smelled. I it's like I call it. It's kind of tangy. It's like a tangy. It's like a yeah. tang. It's like a. Um, I don't even know how to explain it. If you haven't ever smelled it, it's just yeah. this weird kind of smell. Yeah. Right. So. <clears throat> and your and buck I'm was your real- buck was hard horn, so what it's we figured horn. was it about I'd say two thirds of the bucks were in velvet and one third were hard horned uh in your yeah. area at the time we were there. Yep. Yeah, yep, exactly. Um in this place. You yeah. know, and uh so now James goes down to get his pack. Um we have to get water. Remember we have to get water, so we so we decided we're gonna fill up all of our water bottles. I think we had a, t- a total of six gallons of water that we could carry. And when I got um, down there also when I saw my pack tore up everywhere, for, I forgot that I'd done that <laughs> and I thought that uh, a bear or something had <laughs> tore my stuff up. Then you were like, Oh yeah, I yeah. left it like this. Yeah, yeah. So I start breaking the deer down and I do gutless. Um and so I, you know, start peeling, you know, peeling the hide off and I get the front shoulder off. And we were doing some, we did some broadhead counts. We were trying to make sure that you didn't stick your hands into any broadheads. So we kept diligently figuring out where all the broadheads were. Because there was a lot and they were all over. Winchester. So I found them all. I had all my, yeah, I went Winchester. My final shot was on my, uh, was on some recycled arrows, which was 
you know, if you want to talk about, I mean, you could talk a lot about, you know, arrow, arrow oh. shaft and uh, FOC yeah. and durability and broadheads and sharpness and all yeah. that stuff. But I really do believe, um, I really like those broadheads that I run. Uh, and I like the fact that, you know, it, it says something about a broadhead. Good, But I was able to pull these arrows out of this rocky buck bed and um, I got a pass through on that last shot or on the shot that was the, um, the one that double lunged him um, was a pass through, not all the way through it because it hit the dirt on the other side, but it, it broke this skin and went through and came out the other side on that box. So those Valkyrie broadheads are, they're pretty durable. Yeah. I mean, you know, the reality of it and I still have. Them, so anyways, so I start, I bre start breaking the buck down and I'm doing a gutless, but I don't do uh, what I found is that if I try to pull the hide all the way off, if I'm on this and I was on like, you know, a gnarly little slope on side hill. What I do is I take the shoulder off from the top, you know, up by the back strap. Right. I op open it up that way. And then I take my game bag and I wrap it over that part that I've, I've separated that upper part. And then I kind of like pull and, and, and skin it down the foreleg down below that, um, that joint and then take it off that way where most of the time and the other ways that I've done it is you, you, get the hide all the way off down the leg and then, um, you know, break the quarter off and then set the quarter in the bag. I kind of do it. I do it this opposite way. So I get one quarter out, I hang it. I work my way back. I get the hind quarter or the ham off. I get the neck meat off one side. I'm breaking the back strap out. James gets back. Um, I carry an emergency blanket, you know, those little aluminum foil emergency blankets and I carry it for safety. And then the other thing I carry it for is it gives me somewhere clean to set, um, those like neck meat or yeah. rib meat or, mm -hmm. or loin, you know, yeah. anything loins or anything like that on. So I had that spread out. Um, I set a couple chunks on there. I get basically one whole side done. Um, James shows up, he starts filling water. Um, I flip the buck over. I get the other half done with, with the quarters. We get it hanging. It's nice and cool where we're at. I break the, the rest of the cape off. I think and at this point is when I'm starting to realize I'm like, yeah, yeah, we are. yeah, we're seven and a half miles from the truck and we we're, about, we're about a mile from camp, but it's probably the worst mile in the trip. The, vertic the vertical mile. Because we have the to first, I'll tell you the first hundred yards of the pack out are the absolute, I mean, it's, you know, it's death. It's death when you're trying to, so, it, so, anyway, I was so we get all the water, we get, we get the water, we get the buck broken down. And I tell James, he's like, okay, how are we going to do this? I go, I'm going to carry the buck. I'm going to carry everything. You're going to carry all of our water and my bow. And he's like, are you sure you should give me some of the meat? And I go, no, 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 no. I go, I, I got this. I go, this is the best thing. He's like, do we need all this water? And I go, yes. Well, and we, we plan that also because you're going to put all that bloody meat into your pack. And then I'm going to have a clean pack to put all of our camp. When we get up to camp, we're going to put yeah. your camp, my camp, everything into my bag. So we kind of have yeah. Yeah. Share, share the weight that way. Yeah. So we get everything loaded up and James is like, well, how are we going to get out of here? Because the, the exit from where we are is to either drop where my bag was four. what do you think? 400 feet elevation. No, we figured it was six. Yeah. 600 feet in elevation, drop that to get out of this ravine and then have to come back up that. Now we would have to climb almost a, about 900 feet to back to our camp or yeah. we can, I'm, I'm like, well, there's this gnarly little trail up this one side that we might be able to get out. And he's like, okay. And so I walk up there and I take a look at the thing and I'm like, I don't know. It's sketchy. It's like, 
I wouldn't no, call it. Like, a tra- I wouldn't call that a trail. No, it's like well, it's like we have this dirt that makes up our ground here. It's called Franciscan Melange, and basically what it is, we live in a um, geologically active area. We live, you know, we have more earthquakes than anywhere in the world. Um, and what you see is what what you're walking around on used to be the bottom of the ocean, you know, thousands of years ago. So it's clay and and mucky, and it's just all dried out, and there's rocks, but none of the rock is real hard. And so what it is is these vertical sides of this ravine, and there's this little deer trail, and I'm and I look at it, and there's like a rock that sticks out here, and then there's a tuft of bunch grass that sticks out here, and there's a old piece of tick brush that's hanging off the side of the face trying to hold on for dear life and i'm thinking i'm like mountain goat country folks mountain yeah i'm like i'm like i could put my right foot here and my left foot there and my right foot here and then i could maybe like swing past i could you know get my momentum going and like make it past that sketchy part right there and And i'm not i'm not even thinking of myself i'm simply like stressing for joaquin's life at this point i'm like oh my god he's gonna die and i'm gonna have to figure out how to save his life uh, well, I well I keep a Delorme on me, so um, we would be able to we'd be able to call in the chopper if we had to. But I go back down to him, and I'm like, I don't think so, dude. I go, I think we're gonna have to go at the bottom. I'm like, or we could go back up where I had come, where I where I came down and stalk on the buck. I'm like, but that's gnarly. I don't know how we get up that face that I jumped off of, and there's another face. And I go, well, let me just put the pack on. Let me see how it is. And so I feel the pack, and then I throw it on, and I get it on, and it's probably. Oh, 80 pounds 80. or something like that. Yeah. yeah. A solid 80. And cause I got my camera in there and all my other stuff and I'm like, okay. And so then we, and Jane, I feel James's pack and James's pack is probably 50. And then we're like, I'm like, okay, let's just, I'm like, I start taking a few steps. You know how it is, is you kind of feel the balance. And what I do, one of the things I'll tell you is that I was gonna put the I was gonna put it on my meat shelf, but then um, I hadn't used the meat shelf on this specific bag and frame before, and so I was I was like, oh, I haven't drive around. I go, well, I'm just gonna throw it in the bag. James goes, well, Snyder just he likes to throw the meat in the bag, and I was like, as we run a Capfaro as yep. a pack that I run, I'm running that new 44 mag, and he's like, well, Snyder always says to throw it in the in the bag, and I'm like, oh, it looks like what I'm gonna do, so. I open the bag up and in my bag I have my um, that puffy, the Kafaru puffy, but it's the jacket, the zip up jacket. I got I had game bags in the bottom and then I had a half of a what are those thermorest um, styrofoam sleeping pads, you know, the dimpled yeah. ones. We had a half of one of those we'd split up for glassing, so I had that. So I stuffed that stuff and a couple other things, my other sweatshirts and stuff in the bottom of my bag, and then I cinch off about the bottom third of the bag with the compression strap so that now I only have the top two thirds of my bag for the meat. And I put the four quarters in and the neck meat and tenderloin and back strap. And I put that in there and then I carry an OR dry bag that I was saying. And in that OR dry bag, I put the cape, which is infested with ticks and fleas Ugh. and, and it's wet. Cause and, and what's those out. other critters? Uh, Keds. Keds. Be a sheep sheep ranching area, and there's these Ugh. things called keds, and they look like flying ticks. They're Ugh. gnarly. If you ever want to do something sketchy, a flying tick is what it looks like. Yeah. They're long legs and they're fast. So I put that in the dry bag, and then I cinch that down, and I um, put that on the top, and use these straps and and kind of get it all situated. And I'm like, I'm like, oh okay. And I get up, and I'm I'm kind of like take a few steps, and I it's a snarly scree that I got to rocky hard scree that i gotta go up and i start and i go let's give us a try 
Tim's like, you sure? And I go, yeah, let me just give it a try. We'll just see what it's like. And so I get up there and I start like walking, climb up this thing. It's all four points of contact, you know, like you're, you're, you got your two feet on the ground. You got two feet in the dirt trying to grab a hold of something. And so I get up to where there's this corner in the trail and then is where it gets sketchy for, what is it? 20 feet. Yeah. And it's like, right? you're going to fall 20, down to 20 it, but you're going to fall 20 feet to a boulder field. Well, what it was is the best part was it was a 10 foot drop. And then there was a little kicker and you would, have, it would have, you would have hit there and bounced. And then you would have fallen another 15 feet or 20 feet down into a pile of rocks, uh, boulders and logs. Yeah. And so you were definitely with the pack. And I thought, well, dude, if I go down, I'm going to die. With the pack, with the pack on you, it could kill you. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Without a package, you can tell you. You yeah. definitely bust your legs. And people yeah. get hurt. People get injured and hurt in this area all the time. All the time. There's, yeah. We have a special I, group called Technic, Technical Rescue that's here, and they specialize in rescuing stupid hunters and backpackers. Like me While you were doing this, I like I was saying, I was just like, oh, my God, oh, my God, he's going to die. Oh, my God, he's going to die. But I'm following you as I'm thinking that. And then I get to the hard part, and I remember when I got to the hard part, you just came up, you just finished the, the ascent. And you said, yeah. you looked at me and you saw the look in my eyes. That's all it took. You knew. I was like, uh, now I'm in a spot where I don't really want to turn around or go forward. I'm like, ah, yeah. I put myself I in. Said, Wait here. Yeah. Wait here. So that was the thing. Like the last, there was this one little section where I told you you had to just kind of get your momentum going. And like you had one sketchy piece of footing that may hold you yeah. and it may not. And if, and there was like. Confidence is everything. And all of a sudden mine stall. went away. Yeah. So I get across the thing and I crawl out of it. I'm like, whew. And immediately as I'm taking the last little step, I'm thinking, oh my God, I can't let James fall here. Like I think of your wife and your kids and I'm like, I can't let him fall here. I'm like, I got to go get that pack. So I run up the hill like 10 feet away from the, from where I come out of this canyon is this tree. I throw the pack off my back and I run back down there and I go freeze. I go stay where you are. So he stays where he's at. And I come back down. I come across this little thing that we just came through. And I give me that pack. And he's like, give you the pack. I go, give me the pack, dude. Like, well, I'm not going to explain to your wife about how you fell. And he's like, okay. So he like unclips the pack. He's like, sure. I go, yeah, I'm sure. And so he unclips the pack. And when he unclips the pack, his whole weight, Shit. the pack slides off him, wants to fall. He goes to catch it. He almost starts to fall. And I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I go, I got the pack. I go, just worry about yourself. I go, don't fall. So I get the pack. I throw it on my shoulders. And I scurry right back up the trail. I run back to where my pack was because he still has the two bows. And I drop yeah. the pack there. And right. I, I forgot I had the both the go, bows. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I come back down and I go, hey, give me those bows. And he's like, give me the bows. And I go, give me those bows. So he hands me the two bows. And I run back up the trail and I set those bows down. And then I come back down to the sketchiest part. And I go, all right. I go, you come across. I go, you got two footholds there. Put your feet here. And I go, when you get to there, I go, I want you to grab my arm. And I go, and, and, and we'll just make sure everything comes out okay. And, and it did. It, it worked flawless. And he came right out. And he was like, dude, that was gnarly. And I said, well, that was the worst part of the whole day. It was. It was like 5% of the pack out. But it was like, after that, I was like, okay, it's all uphill from here. <laughs> and it's the long, the long grind. And so we, we, we hike uphill through the sun, all this stuff. We kind of get an idea of what our packs feel like. We get to our camp. Um, and I said, you better start drinking water cause it is going to really be hard. Cause right now it is, uh, one and we had, I said, let's eat some food. Let's get our camp packed up. I said, take your boots off. If you got clean, 
clean socks, get those rested. I had like, hot I got spots. A hot, yeah. hot spot starting. I go, I'll get my kid out. We'll deal with those. Um, uh, and so that's the same thing I do. I throw on my Crocs, right? I get my yeah. air, my feet breathing. I got a fresh pair of socks for the pack out. I just start pounding water, pounding yeah. water, pounding water because it's hot. It's like, I, it's like I, I cut the it's, sleeves off my off my first light uh, shirt, put suntan lotion on. I was like, this is. <laughs> I knew what I was. Uh, what, what we were gonna do? We were gonna climb in ninety degree weather for four or five hours. Yeah. So, and we had to gain, you know, a long ways. And this trail sucks because you got to go up and then you go down and then up and then down and then up and then down and then up and up and up. And and a lot of it is, you know, once you get out of where we were hunting, it's just like it's just sunshine. You know, it's, it's like oh, no fun. It's type two fun. Man. So yeah, trails are trails generally suck because they don't have any tree cover. You know? Yeah. So. So we get everything set up and, and we, and I, when we get to the camp, that's the other thing that this is what I would say. The other thing is when I knew when I got to the camp, I wanted to take enough time doing everything else that that meat was going to get another hour and a half to cool. So, because you put it in a pack, it's insulating it. So I got it out immediately, got it hung, um, got it breathe. And where our camp was, it was a breeze. So there was a cold breeze blowing on it or cool breeze. And, um, let it hang. And so we took our time. I wasn't in any rush. We had plenty of time. We got everything loaded up, got our meat back in there. I took my kit out. I carry, um, some like gel band-aids. So like a sticky adhesive gel. I carry a, my kit is this, it's, it's, um, Luco tape, those gel band-aids and hand sanitizer. And, and moleskin. Um, I told moleskin and yeah. i tell james i go i go wash i go clean your feet with the with the hand sanitizer because it's mostly rubbing alcohol so he cleans his feet <clears throat> we put the gel pad on there we cut the gel pad to size put it on there i cut a piece of moleskin that covers the gel pad and a little bit more and then we put the luco tape over the top of all that and then that, and just adhere that to the feet with any without it's, any wrinkles or it's like or super glue tape yeah, yeah. It, I told him, I go, don't take it off unless you're in the shower. I go, they'll just take your skin with you. And I got that's another thing that I got from Snyder. That was part of his his blister kit. Was you know, it, I kind of picked that dude, up, dude? It's and legit. It like it could have saved some other hunts for, uh, that I've been on, not with yeah. my feet, but with yeah. my hunting partner's feet. Um, yeah. I will have that kit ordered this evening. It will be in my pack yeah. for now on. Yeah. Um, it's really when we were in British Columbia after the first day when we were on my friend Stone Sheep Hunt. The first day he had some hot spots and. Uh, I did that to his feet and that lasted seven days. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, if you get a good adhesion, if you get your feet clean when you put it on, like I'm telling you, man, it doesn't come off and, until you, you, you better soak it in hot water to get it off. So anyways, we address James's feet. We get it. We both have a fresh pair of socks for the pack out. That's real critical to me. I try to have one of those yep. wet socks, um, really can create blisters. Um, and we start our way out and we figure out how we're going to carry everything. I basically have the same setup that I had, except that I take my bow because we're going to both run trekking poles. Um, I take my bow. James strapped his bow our, to the back. Yeah. Of and our trekking poles were holding our shelters up originally. Yeah. We were in like bivvies. Um, I was in that new, I have a, I have a Hilleberg mesh one, which is what James was in. It's just basically a small mesh tent because we have tons of bugs and rattlesnakes and scorpions and centipedes and um the mosquitoes you yeah. got to have a mesh enclosed you got to have a floor where i live and then uh, they do that, have rattlesnakes uh, it's real yeah and then yeah james almost stepped on a baby rattlesnake and yeah. i put a, a kafaru sheep tarp over that for 
because we get a lot of dew and stuff. That was James's shelter, and I have the new Stone Glacier um, Sky ULT. Um, it is two pounds. It's a full kit of two pounds. That's with the rain fly and the mesh thing and the footprint. Dude, it is money. It is it's an awesome so shelter. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that was mine, uh, but they're both trekking pole shelters. So we we strap our bows. I hung my bow on my rack on the buck's rack that was on my head, which I was st- which was on my pack, which I was stoked because it actually held it really nicely. It, yeah, and that that rack, we, basket rack held your stalker recurve like like it was a bow rack. Uh, I'll have to post a picture great. of that. Really cool. Yeah, yeah. And then we just begin our pack out. We go out looking like I got looking like the clampets. I got a, I got stuff hanging off the top, and we started our pack out, and it took. Um, we left camp at three, yep, and we got to the truck at seven. Yep. So it was four hours, and it was just the the grind. That's my favorite part, man. My favorite part about I I would say the part that I really find the most pride and enjoyment in is one tracking. Um, I mean the hunting part and the shot and all that stuff that's all parts you know i i do my work and and practice and all that but when we get to stop to to, um um, tracking a wounded animal that's i have a severe love for that me too bro severe love for that i love and i did it actually Uh, james was like we're getting ready to break down the animals all broken down i go i'm gonna go find my arrow my other i got one more arrow missing but i really just selfishly wanted to follow the trail of a deer because I, i wanted to know what a deer was doing that had those types of injuries what his thought process was maybe, where he was stopping, where he was moving, what he was doing, because it's like you, and I, and I enjoy that. And, but I also wanted more knowledge from it. So that and the pack scout. And I like, I told James, I go, man, I'm going to be laughing this whole time. because like, things get really bad. I go, I just tend to laugh and smile a lot. And, yeah, and I knew what I, I knew what I was getting into. I'd been putting weight in the Kafaru and, and doing this uh, thousand feet elevation hike in my neighborhood constantly and you know i work in the woods i knew i knew if i was hunting with joaquin that there was going to be type two fun involved all the way through <laughs> and uh you know honestly i will tell you this i thought about this today is that my, my cardio um what i've been doing for cardio to prepare for the hunting season has been i've been painting a house right and i've been raising a four-year-old and i've been like you know like i have not been out there I have not. I just haven't. But I have this. I just. I. I'm a grinder. Yeah. You know. I. I. We used to do CrossFit, and the guy that I work out with CrossFit, the guy, this trainer guy, he's like, "You're a grinder, dude." He's like, "You just grind it out. That's what you do." You know. And I just. That's kind of what I. What I feel like. So yeah. I hadn't <laughs> done much packing, and um, I just knew that with my pack was probably 90 pounds, and I just knew that if I just kept going nice and slow, and I drink a lot of water. Um, mental, yeah. the mental attitude is like, like I, in, in every packet, like in that one, anytime I would get one little negative thought in my head, I could feel myself getting sluggish and then I would kick that out and I would pump myself up with something yep. else. And then I would like get a new, you know, I was like, Oh, you just got to stay positive. It's, it's, yep. and you really, it sounds stupid and cliche, but when you are empty, like, and you're like down and out and you can can pump yourself up it has a lot of value well one of the things that i like about packing out with a heavy load and it being so hard is that you you seldom get to be in those places right 
very rarely you, for and, me. and you know that meat has to get out <clears throat> it's gonna rot you have you're on it you have yep. no choice it's like so you have to get the task done and you signed up for it yeah. and you can't really yep. simulate that there is nothing that is going to push me harder you know besides the safety of someone else than losing me right um and i just you just know that I'm going to need to get to the car tonight and that we're not sleeping here. We have, I plan, I've been on this pack out before we packed out, uh, you know, um, killed some, but I actually killed two bucks in there one time with the guy that I was hunting with and we had to pack them both out. That was rough. Yeah. And then I go back down in the morning and get my camp and then come back out. Yeah. But, um, I had known what was coming and I just knew that as long as we had all that water and James kept going, like, dude, do we need all this water? And I'm like, bro, tell me, I'm telling you, we are gonna be, well, I'm like, we can always pour it out. Dude, I, drink, like, I drink, I drink, I drink gallons and gallons of water and I do not remember stopping and peeing one time. No, we not were once. out of water when we got to the truck. Yeah. And we, I just sweated and sweated and sweated and sweated yeah. and drank water. And I'm going to tell you this. I felt wonderful the next day. I didn't, I was yeah. not like, like some of the pack outs I've had before, uh, I packed my elk out of a wilderness w with little water and you know, I felt like dog poop for a couple of days. I felt great. I, I think that, you know, I've, I don't know if you've read much about like hangovers, but they say a big part of a hangover is really just dehydration. Yeah. It's your body because alcohol, you know, dehydrates yeah. you. Right. And I just felt like, and I, that's one of the things I told James, I go, dude, just keep drinking that water, drink water. I said, you're going to thank me tomorrow. Yeah. And I am telling you, you just don't get near as sore as if you drink enough water. You just, you drink all that water and your body keeps moving. I just think of it like we're an electrical system and, yeah. and water is that conductor. And if you don't have water, you're going to get cramps. You're going to have failures. And it, by the, but man, by the time we got to the car, my hip flexor was, was really starting to act up. I had a blister that had popped up about halfway up the hill of all my Achilles and I knew, but I just wasn't willing to stop. And I thought, well, I'll just, I'll grind through it. And you know, the next day I had skin hanging off the back of my foot and all that stuff. But I like to save a little energy. And at the end for my own self, I like to just push myself to the point of debt. Like I'm like, okay, I'm almost there now. Yep. I'm going to go as hard. Yep. I'm going to go so hard because I want to see if I can, pull a little bit of gas out of nothing. Yeah. Yeah. You want to know what you were sandbagged. Yeah. And so right. you kind of want to leave it all. Day. And so yeah. I remember that last, and it was some serious uphill. We sat down, I think two times to the whole pack out. We took like a two, three minute break. And I remember, I think, and that, I think those two, three minute breaks for me are critical in letting your feet cool down. Yeah, You got to let your feet, if you have, a heavy, heavy pack, I think cooling your feet down, they're starting to get you because they're just going to, even if you don't have hot spots, your feet are getting hot from all that load and all that movement. And if you give your feet a little bit of time to cool down, I think it saves them. Man. Just, I just, yeah. I think so. So for me, so I, James was, yeah. James was kicking it into another gear. Like I was ahead of him most of the way. Yeah. Almost the whole time. And then all of a sudden we get on this thing and he just makes his move. He comes to my left and I'm like, Oh, he's passing me. I'm like, this, uh, this guy, so I passed him one more time, yep. and after that, I realized I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't be competitive. I just have to. I got another three, yeah, you, two or three miles to go, and I got to get this meat. Yeah, I just gotta I take it easy. So I took it easy, and then my bow fell off once 
I had to pat and I then I had to kind of like. It almost killed me, dude. I powered up there and and I got to the truck and I laid down and I was like doing the <laughs> yeah. And the mosquitoes were all over me. They were just biting the crap out of me, and I was like, <laughs> but it, it, uh, it, it was what I signed up for, man. Yeah, it was. That's it. You know, when we when you get done, like that hunt. Um, that's what I love about that place. That whole thing. It's great when you, I mean, like killing something, but when that killing it for me was the culmination of 40 trips a year, um, scouting, hunting, I, I told I told you too, going up that mountain, I said, uh, I'm really glad you killed that buck. And you were like, oh man, <laughs> I, I really want you to get one too. And I'm like, I'm glad I didn't kill that buck. I'm glad you killed that yeah. buck. Because I yeah. felt like, I feel like, uh, I like... I'm a glutton for punishment and yeah. I just feel like I don't want to, I don't want anything easy for some reason. When you do kill a buck in there, you don't, that first day that I was in, that I'd ever hunted up there and I almost shot that buck, but I couldn't quite see his rack. And then I was on another buck and that didn't work out. Like I said, it's like, those are investments. And then all the other times that I hunt in there without getting anything. And when you do kill one, yeah. It all makes it worthwhile. Yeah, when yeah. I killed the buck in my in this place that I had found myself, you know, and I killed this buck coming out and came out of there, there was just not a better experience. And that's that's how this one was for me. It was one of those and, things. It was like I went in there with you, and I had the choice to stay in yeah. there. I, you know, I still had a tag, yeah. and I had a choice to stay in there. Yeah. And in my head, I started uh, saying, "Well." I still have my tree stands. There's there's some uh, tree stand opportunity that Joaquin had told me about. There's some bucks around over there in the um, some of his other areas that are not wilderness hunting. And I thought, mm -hmm. well, I got the wilderness experience that I'm looking for, and uh, now I can go do my tree stand thing. And uh, that's kind of tying back into what we had talked about, and that's where I kind of learned tree stand hunting. Like that may not be the best tactic this time of year. And it wasn't what I was actually looking for in this yeah. hunt. I was hoping, I was really hoping that you were going to get a little bit of both and then prefer the flavor of, you know, the, the, the one that's not as, like, that, that it requires more pain. Yes. And, and, and I did, right? Like the whole time you I could know. tell, I was like, Oh, I should have, yeah. I should have stayed in the wilderness. I, I want to go back to the wilderness. Yeah. And now, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a goal. It's, it's on the list. It's something that, uh, I hope to get invited back to and, and to, uh, to get to, uh, go to, to that special place. And it's not special cause it's, got a bunch of animals because it doesn't it's not yeah. special because um because it's like some you know magical place Mac it's it's special because it's tough it's special because it's hard yeah it's special because it it has an animal in it that is tough and it is hard yeah. um and it's not there's not i when I killed that buck, James was like, that thing's a monster. Yes. And I'm like, I go, no. He's like, dude, that thing's huge. And I go, uh-uh. And he's like, w w what do you mean? And I go, I go, look, man, where I live, if you go 30 miles east of where I live, 20 miles east, that's where the big bucks live. Yeah. 
I go, this is this is a good this is a That's great box. Same where I live. The val the valley bucks are way bigger. But I yeah. know I know yeah. how I know how to appreciate a coastal black. Yeah. Tail. Yeah. And for me, it's not I was just having a conversation with this guy who was one of my mentors and we were glass and deer last night. I kinda ran into him in this spot and uh, we were talking about we were looking at these bucks and he was like, You see that little spike bison fork over there? And he goes I'd kill that one out there. He goes, and I'd be happy. He goes, and it would mean a lot more than that other big one right there, killing yeah. it here. He said yeah. it's just a different. He said it's a di- he said it's just a different type of thing. But he's a glutton for punishment too. Yeah, my buddy uh, a- Matt Starley. He's uh, another one of my blacktail nut friends, and he mm-hmm. hunts them on the coast, and he hunts them, you know, in inland where we go hunt the the late mm-hmm. season rut hunts. And he's like, man, when I'm hunting inland, when I'm hunting, you know, the Deer Mecca area, I'm looking for, you know, a good representation of the breed. He says, when when yeah. I'm uh, on the coast, he's like, man, if I can put an arrow through a fork and a horn, I, that buck means more to me than that good representation of the breed down down uh, uh, inland. Yeah, this buck was probably I haven't I haven't scored him or anything, but he is probably I looked at him, he's probably, you know, one. 12 to 115 yeah i think he's, and he's probably 14 and in, 14 inches wide inside yeah you know maybe maybe yeah probably about 16 wide on the outside maybe maybe even less maybe 15 um he's pretty much said, like the kind of buck that any coastal i mean in my mind he he's yeah. a monster he's a coastal monster blacktail yeah he's dude he's so beautiful yeah. he really i mean really for me because we don't get a very, we don't have a lot of four by four bucks here. We have a really strong three point genetic, and we have a really strong fork and horn genetic, and then we have what's called the Pacific Fork genetic, which is the way I would describe that is a very long and vertically oriented main beam, and then you have a deep fork at the top of that. I mean, I'm, you're talking bucks that are tall, tall, yeah, really tall, and their antlers come. A lot of them, their antlers will come, you know, and and end up. Uh, you know the width of your hand apart at the t- at the top from the from the main beams. I mean they're four inches. You know the points are three to four inches apart at the front. They're just that's a that's a really cool buck that lives on the coast. And that that specific deer, a, a Pacific Fork, is you know it's it's like the coolest bucks that are out here. I think. Yeah. You know, I've I have yet I've yet to kill a Pacific Fork. But, so uh, but I've got. A couple days left. We we'll get the trailhead. We're gonna get uh, heading back to your house, mm-hmm. and we're driving through just crappy habitat. Yep. And I'm like, is there <laughs> is there any ever is, you ever see bucks like up 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 here on the top of the ridge? And and he's ah, eh, you know, the habitat's crappy. It's just nothing but tan oak and slick leaf, and not really. Yep. And uh, that, then what happens? Well, then we're coming down this road, and we're in the middle of nowhere. And like you said, we're just in nothing country is what you call it, really. It's just it's a dense tan oak forest, and it's steep and rugged. And uh, we come around this corner, and James is like, go. I'm like, what? And he's like, there's a buck right there. And I just see this, you know, the hindquarter of this deer, like, feeding down off the road. And I'm like, I go, there's a buck? He's like, dude, it was a buck. And I go, well, I'm like, oh, I go, this is a switchback. There's actually only like two switchbacks on, on, on one of these roads. 
and we're on a dirt road. And uh, I go, what's the switchback? I go, well, we'll come around the corner. We'll see what happens. Yeah, we come around the corner. And I go, well, there he is, dude. And this buck's standing there. He's on the inside of this little knob of this corner. And the only thing, and he was a beautiful three-by-three, three, yeah, velvet three-by-three three eye guard. Buck. A really nice, a really, really, nice buck. really nice buck. Like a 110-inch buck. Yeah, buck. real heavy, but, beautiful like, buck. Incredible. Yeah. And he's just standing there, and I'm like, the only thing that I can think of now is that he was so far away from any trailhead or any drainage or anything, he's probably never even been hunted. Because he stood there, and he took a bite of this um, manzanita that was yeah. growing on the inside of the road. And I go, dude, he's eating. And James gets his bow out and steps off the road, and the buck, like, uh, he he goes across the road, he steps off the road, and he starts to, like, drop down into this into the timber, and we... Adam, you know, and I and I'm kind of wondering if James is going to shoot him, and and uh, he kept kind of. And, and I'm really not. I got my bow up, but I'm not like, not I'm not yeah. like, I'm not opposed to shooting percent. something off of the road, but I'm not really. That's not really my uh, gig by any uh, by any means, and I don't want to make a bad shot like on some like yeah. really wound up road buck or anything. Yeah. So I'm like this buck. Yeah. It, there's not going to be no shot, and then all of a sudden, he takes a bite and uh, and he drops his ears, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this buck is relaxing. Yeah, and that was it. It was just it was just this thing like this buck had never been hunted before. Yeah. So and I, James, I, I look over and I see James's arrow coming back. I'm like, oh, this is going to happen. And I'm watching the deer, and I'm watching the deer, and I'm I'm trying to keep him. Like, I'm, you know, I'm still in the car. James is over there, and. uh Dude, I hear the I hear the bow go off, and I see this arrow, and it's and I just see it slide right over his back, right over the top of his back, right over the top of his back, and it clangs, and the buck as after the arrow goes past, and the buck goes yay, and he blows out of there, and I go oh man, and James is like damn it, you know, and I'm like oh, he gets you know I'm like oh well, and I go oh, I'm gonna pull up there, and we'll get your you know I go there, we go get his arrow give it back to him and he's like dude he's like man he's like i really felt like the guy he's like i just i don't know what happened he's like i just he was like 33 yards and i go <laughs> i go dude i go i had him at like 20 <laughs> yeah and you're like what and i'm like dude that's why you missed him i go this, you know i'm like i'm like you just thought he was farther than he was so california deer have smaller bodies at least these yep. particular bucks we're hunting have smaller bodies than the bucks i hunt by a bit and then they yeah. have i'm not going to say they have bigger racks but they have bigger they have they have bigger main beams yeah long main long beams. main beams on all the bucks and so uh like when i was talking to bob he's, he called it like the, oh that's how it is in arizona with those little deer it's like you see mm -hmm. them and you think okay this is the it kind of messes up your depth perception or yeah. that's my yep. excuse but i actually honestly was relieved I'm like yeah, yeah i was kind of like oh okay dodge the bullet i didn't get a road buck yeah which, which was, no offense to anyone listening i don't you know if, however you want to hunt i don't i'm not judging no one it's just that wasn't if i would have got him i would have been happy and i would you know have been fine but it wasn't yep. really the way i wanted to fill my tag it was legal and it was ethical yeah. in terms of what what i told james is i said look man i said you just did you know six 16 miles and we hiked down there and you came out to help me get my buck out. And I go, you, that's fine. If you're going to shoot one like this, this is the time when it's completely fine. Go, We're not driving, looking for deer. We're going yeah. home. And there yeah. happens to be a deer yeah. in the wilderness. I go, that one's, I go, you earned that one. 
I go, but you know, yeah. I, but it's the same thing. It's yeah. like you, you know, you, you kind of have your, what did they call that? Your, uh, purity score, purity score. Yeah. The, the purity score would have been acceptable on that one because you had blisters on your feet and yeah. we were worn out <laughs> and we had, you know, just done what we had done. But, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. That was and, it. and then you, then you hunted, then I hunted some, hunt, some tree, tree stands. Stand stuff. Yeah. Yep. And I, it was uh, fun. I had some, I had some does come under me I had a spike come under me. Um, I seen a buck at a distance Mm-hmm. Um, you know, gotta, uh, kind of realize that this isn't a tree stand rut hunt. Like these bucks aren't yeah. out cruising. And so yeah. I kind of got to reflect on my hunt and reflect on, you know, uh, the wilderness and reflect on California and which is, you know, what a lot of people may not know it's my birth state and it's my Yep. First time uh, hunting there, you know, and I have a lot of friends and family there, so it was kind of special. And um, and I kind of had a chance to beat myself up for not staying in the wilderness. Um, yeah. And that, you know, and I, that, I that asked was, James, I'm like, he's like, well, what do you think? Like, and, and he's like, and I go, well, it looks what it comes down to, man. I said, <clears throat> the places that I hunt that are not, you know, that like that are not this tree stand area, I go, it's a one in twelve. I go, you're going to take 12 trips in there and you're going to see a deer or a buck one of those times. And I said, so it's up to you. You can hunt an area where you're probably going to see a deer one in three times or one in two times. And, or you can go to an area that's a one in 12. I said, just depends on what you want to do. And and so he, he did the one in two, one in three times and he did see a buck, but it wasn't in range. But then by the last day, he had one more morning hunt left to do and he was like dude i don't think that's what i want and i was so happy to hear that you know i was like ah i go i know you just don't it's just like this other thing it's like he's like yeah i could fill my tag and he's like but i just don't think it's what i'm looking for and i said yeah i know it's uh, you know it's yeah it's like i don't i i i wasn't looking for uh a buck i was looking for an experience yeah. And, and I yeah. think that that's often how I approach my, uh, my hunting is I'm looking to, um, bring, I bring something back every time. It's yeah. often not, it often doesn't have antlers. Yeah. Um, and, and some situations you bring less back. And yeah. so, uh, yeah, I think as I mature as a hunter, um, you know, times like this, I, I get to learn about myself and, and how uh, how I'll operate in the future? Yeah, I I, uh, <clears throat> I agree. I'm I'm really glad that it worked out the way that it did because you know I got to kill a buck. So and I got I got a tag still, <laughs> and uh, I I kept saying I'm not coming back. I can't come. It's hard, you know. This is summertime. Yeah, everyone's got to you know. It's hard to get away in the summer because you're trying to get everything done before the fall hunting seasons. And I've got Oregon, you know, I got all these other hunts planned. And so I'm like, it just, it's not realistic. Uh, there was a point where I was like, I just want to get a buck and go home. And then, and then at some point I was like, I'm fine with going home without a buck. Matter of fact, I need to come back this year and, uh, I need to make plans to keep coming back. Like, uh, this is, uh, it'll fill you up. You know, it's like, um, this one is, uh, it's, I, it will spoil you though too because whether you kill a buck or you don't kill a buck, the hunt is is a really rewarding hunt and uh, 
it'll make you want to go hunting in a place where you don't kill anything very often, which is um, silly to a, the, lot of, to a lot of people. The ups- the upside of not staying in the wilderness, I got to uh, mingle with uh, uh, and meet a bunch of uh, or several of Joaquin's friends that uh, I hadn't got yep. to meet yet. Yep. Um, so that had, uh, you know, that was really good, had great value. And then, uh, Amber, she, yeah. could, she could keep a guy out of the wilderness pretty easily with that cooking of hers. Oh, she just, she made us fresh blackberry cobbler the day before we left. And the day we got back, we had ice cream to go with it. Um, we had giant uh, salad and tuna, huge salads, tuna salads. We had, we ate blacktail before we left. We ate blacktail and moose. Had some moose steaks left. When we, we had came fish back. tacos. Fish, you know, yeah, we had fish tacos. That one I, learned, fish, I learned, that yeah, like I'm, I'm a good cook. I consider myself a good cook. I do 99% of the cooking in my house, but I've been on like kind of a plateau and I've been wanting to up my game. And I learned several things from your wife, like on pickling and sauces. Yeah. And I told her, I was like, I'm going to be harassing you. You're my new mentor. Because <laughs> uh, I'm paleo and you guys are paleo-ish. Yeah. And yeah. so it really, uh, it was that also was a huge uh, part of my trip was uh, learning some new culinary skills and forming yeah. these relationships, man. Yeah. And my son too. He was really, oh. he really wanted to hang out with James. He really liked James a lot. And he was like mad that he wasn't going hunt with us. So for me, you know, selfishly, there was a big part of me that wanted you to want to hunt the tree stand. Cause I thought it would be good for you to see what that's like. And I could be home with my boy and I could talk with them. And, and, they, and, and I knew that you had you a lot going on and I got, yeah, and I got to spend some time with Ayrton and I told Kelsey, you know, we have three girls, um, yeah. Alexa, Aubrey, and Ashton, and I call them A1, A2, and A3. Well, <laughs> I told them I was hanging out with A4. Oh, funny. <laughs> Ayrton, like, he really likes James. He's like, see, one little story, James was like, he's like, hey, Dad, he goes, can I go show James my Legos? And I go, if James wants to look at your Legos, you can show him your Legos. He's like, James, you want to see my Legos? And he's like, yeah. So he takes James down and shows James's Legos and then he proceeds to show James every other toy that he has and all the stuff and Ayrton's four, four and a half and then he's like, well what should we do now, James? And James goes, well I have to go in the garage and finish doing my backpack and uh, Ayrton's like okay, well that sounds good, let's go do that so they go in the garage and Ayrton you know, all my hunting gear and all my stuff's in there and Ayrton's like uh, he's entertaining himself and going through his own stuff. And he was putting on a ghillie suit one day and wearing that around. And James is putting all his gear together. And then he goes, you tell a story. He's tell a story about the soccer ball. Yeah. He, he goes, uh, he, he, uh, Amber, uh, Joaquin's wife had come home from a uh, volleyball practice. She's doing some coaching or something or soccer. Yeah, soccer, she's soccer, coach soccer. soccer team. Yeah. yeah. So she had this big soccer bag and it was tied up and it had soccer gear in it. And he dragged it over there and he goes, uh, hey, James, could you untie this for me? And I looked at him and I said, well, isn't that your mother's uh, soccer bag? And he, his eyes got real big and he goes, just kidding. I didn't really want you to open that bag. <laughs> yeah, I don't believe him. He wanted you to open that bag. <laughs> that, that, those little things, you know, I hunted with you for elk season i was gone from my family for 
I think 18 or 19 days this year. And I really wanted you to be in our household and get, have them get to know you yeah, and have them understand that, you know, the type of person that you are and, and why, you know, why I like spending time hunting with you. And, and I wanted Ayrton to see that too. And I'll tell you what, that kid wants to go hunting with me and you. He does. Well, and for I, me, that's special. Uh, I know this has been long winded, but if we could end yeah. the podcast with, uh, even a short version of uh, last year's hunt with Ayrton. I know that you, you committed to uh, to uh, having that experience. And if you could give us a, a quick, I think that would be a great way to end the podcast. I mean, me and you could talk about blacktails until yeah, all day. forever. And I think we'll we'll do another one next year on blacktails. But let's, uh, yeah. you know, I, I also would like to th- okay. thank you for uh, bringing me uh, to your home and to your community and introducing me to your friends and family and sharing, um, you know, the hospitality was wonderful. And, you know, I can't thank you enough. Ah, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Uh, you're always welcome. And I, I'm hoping that you prioritize it and come back here before oh, the, the season's over. It's happening. We're I'm coming back. <laughs> well, so with Ayrton, um, two years ago, so when he was two, I started taking him out. Um, two and a half, I guess is what it is. And he's a pretty smart kid. And I started the groundwork early and we started working on things like, um, start teaching Ayrton about the things that I felt were going to be important. Like we've decided to learn how to walk through country, how to move quietly, how to read wind, how to read sign. We look for different things. And I started keeping my expectations really low. And those expectations were, if you could move, if we could move five feet, and have it be correct, and that was a victory. And and we put our time in and, and did those things. And then um, last year, it all kind of came into culmination. We were hunting around, and we were decided Grammy. His Grammy has a buck that that keeps trying to get in her garden. And so we were hunting around the property. She has forty acres, and we were moving around and trying to get on deer. And and we knew this buck was around, coming in and feeding in the evenings. Um, we got, we went all the way around the property. It was hot. And we got back to, back to, up to Grammy's house. And Eric goes, I'm hot, dad. I need some water. And he goes, all right. So we take him inside and we get him some water. And he's like, and I go, well, you want to hang in there with Grammy? And he goes, yeah, I'm going to hang inside with Grammy. And I go, all right, well, I'm going to walk around the perimeter of, uh, she lives in a pretty forested area. So it's like a perimeter where you clear your homestead. And he comes out, he decides he's going to come out on the back the back of the house, the back deck. And I'm like slipping around right at the edge of the timber. And this buck happens to step out at like seven yards. He's coming up, he's coming up to get in the yard and I'm catching him right as he's coming into the opening. And I draw back and shoot him and he, I made a really good shot of him and he runs down to the bottom of the hill and he dies in the Creek and it, you know, one shot right through the heart. And uh, I go and I grab Ayrton and we do the track job and we follow the blood trail and, we do all that and then we make it down and we find the buck together and we get some pictures together and he brings his, uh, X wing. He's got his X wing star Wars fighter with him. And <laughs> it's him. What? What? Hold on a second. He's coming up right now. I gotta let him up here. He's going to be upset. Um, so he's coming down. Uh, we, we get the buck breaking it down and he doesn't want to have anything to do with that. But it was just this whole process where he, um, you know, he got to be part of it. He got to be part of 
of that deer and it was you know it wasn't in the back country it wasn't anything like that but what it was was it was really this important and special part of him and you know he loves those pictures and, and I think trying to create these hunting opportunities with your kids or with friends or with people that you're taking sometimes it's not what you okay you got it I, I hope you, I hope we can stay healthy uh, enough to to take Ayrton and, and Ashton in, into these places, man. Yeah, I think that's a really important thing. So Awesome. Well, Anyways, I got to wrap yeah. it up. Um, I got to get the painting. Yeah, will talk you? To James. Hold on, I'll let, I'll let you talk to James. Okay. There you go. Hey, James. Hey, Ayrton. I miss you, buddy. Miss you, too. You been uh, having a good time? Yeah. Awesome. Are you getting excited to move into the new house? They're going to wrap it up and get to work. Awesome. You you uh, get that house all ready to get moved into, and I'll come down and see you once you guys are living in it. Okay. All right. Good talking to you, buddy. Good talking to you, too. All right, buddy. All right, man. You guys, you guys have a good one. Once again, we'd like to thank the listeners. Don't forget to tell your friends about the podcast. Leave us a review on iTunes. Check us out on our Patreon page. We're on Instagram. Keep the wind in your face, pick a spot, and shoot straight. My head is full of wanderlust, my quiver is full of hope. I've got the urge to walk the prairie and chase the antelope. Aspen's gold on snow-capped peaks, the elk call me away. I can't keep my mind on working on this fine September day. I've got Nimrod neurosis, longbows on the brain. I'm an outdoor junkie through and through, hunts my middle name. My eyes are on the target, broadheads all fly true. Can't wait till I can get outside so I can fling a few. Get outside so I can fling a few.